Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Good morning, it's D here in for PJ on this Monday morning. 16 degrees apparently. Sure it is, Mairead. <laughs> it's not very nice out there, but hopefully it'll clear up a little bit throughout the day. We have loads coming up for you on today's show. We're going to be talking about the school reopening plan. Finally, we have some kind of a blueprint for what it's going to look like. Um, they're saying masks not necessary, but you can wear them if you want. Physical distancing will be required where possible. That might mean using local parish halls as classrooms. They're going to have extra money for extra for teachers, extra money for cleaning um, all well and good. It looks like a pretty solid plan. I was discussing the bones of it with Michael McGrath on Friday, Minister Michael McGrath, but it would strike me that, how long have they left to go back to school? Five weeks? It's going to take longer than five weeks to, to get new bathrooms built and source parish halls and all that kind of stuff. I'll be talking to a couple of teachers about that later in the day, but if you're a parent or a teacher indeed and you want to have a word about that, 83 We're also going to be talking about the news that you will lose your pandemic plan, your pandemic payment if you travel abroad. Um, this came out over the weekend that people who have been travelling abroad who are in receipt of either the pandemic payment or unemployment benefit, um, rather job seekers allowance, um, lose their payment if they travel abroad uh, raises a whole load of questions but I'd like to know if you agree with that or not 083 96 let us know a bit about your own situation are you on the payment would you travel should you travel should you be allowed to travel and uh, we're also going to be talking about a Cork pet farm that has come in for a lot of criticism a pretty um, distressing report about Rumley's pet farm which we will talk about a little bit later on the programme we have contacted them for a reply but haven't heard anything back if they're listening please do give us a shout and let us know as we'd love to discuss this story fully with both sides of course first things first though if you watch The Young Offenders on Friday um, let us know 083 we spoke of course to uh, Billy Murphy on the show on Friday about the new series and what was going on with it but of course there's a new star or rather two new stars of the show and they are Nola and Penny Richardson who starred as baby star in the new series of The Young Offenders and their mum Randa is on the line now. Hi Randa. Hi Deidre, how are you? I'm not too bad at all. Um, it, it was quite a bit of time between it being filmed and being aired so how old are the girls now? They are 19 months now. Okay, and how old were they in filming? Sorry, yeah, they were eight months at the time. Oh, wow, they were very small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did you get wrapped up in all of this? How did it happen? Uh, It was a a friend of mine on Facebook tagged me in a post uh, looking for twins 
um, to play the part of uh, was kind of was a bit vague. So anyway, I just thought, oh, sure, I'll apply for it. And um, yeah, I got a phone call back. I couldn't actually believe it. I thought it was a friend acting the maggot with me, actually. Um, <laughs> and then I spoke to another kind of twin, few twin moms that I know, and uh, one of them said, ah, you're kidding me. She said, I was actually offered it. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well. Yeah, yeah, but we were on holiday. So anyway, we were second choice, but... Um, but a good second choice. <laughs> so how did it work out? I mean, are, are they your only kids? Have you other kids? They are. First, second and last. Okay. And as a new mum, obviously twins must have been quite a, a lot to get your head around. I mean, it was, but, uh, you know, we know no better, really. So you just kind of get on with it, I suppose. Yeah. And how were they during filming? I was trying to um, think how either of my, well, my second one was pretty calm. My first one, not a hope. I wouldn't have got him to be quiet for anybody. Um, they must be very serene kind of kids, are they? Look, uh, oh, they're, they're, they're brilliant. I have to say they're brilliant. Chalk and cheese. One is a million miles an hour and the other one will just roll around the ground and talk to herself, you know. But I mean, yeah. that flip flops, you know, that every day is different as well. But um, but look, I mean, we were only, you know, on for, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the kids are only allowed on, I think, for 25 minutes at a time and then they need to have a, a break and, and all of that. But it, it, I suppose the hardest thing was feeds and naps and nappies and yeah. you would then just, kind of take the the baby that was in better mood at that time but I mean sometimes that wouldn't work and sometimes they'd try and the baby wasn't up for it and then we'd have to swap it out so they'd always be in costume both babies would be in the same costume and the chaperone which is mostly Gareth my husband he'd be kind of in the background with baby two keeping her happy like you know or letting her continue napping or, or whatever needed to be done. So how long were you on set for? I think it was a total of six weeks. It ran over by a week or two, um, but it, it wasn't every day. It was maybe only two or three days a week and maybe one week there was nothing and then you'd be back in again. Um, sometimes the hardest part was they'd say, oh, can you come in again tomorrow? And you'd go, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so you'd have to get home and then get prepared to bring two babies out again the next day and express milk so that we had milk when we were on set and you know different things like that oh my gosh it's very hard to express milk to a schedule uh look i had some in the freezer um and you know you'd only i mean i I would feed on demand anyway so you know Mm. i I was always there but it was just to have a little you know just a few mills here and there to kind of keep the wolf from the door if need be if you know what i mean yeah Gosh, fair play to you. It sounds like a big thing to take on, like when you're on mat leave and when you have these two new babies, not just one, yeah. um, to, to be able to show up like that every day. And I mean, I suppose for the girls, for them, um, long term, it's kind of, it's something most of us don't get is that kind of, you nearly have a little a little um, snapshot of what they were like at that age. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been really nice. We've been um, gathering up the 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 newspapers and different articles online and we've got some really good photos from when we were on set and yeah it's really nice so we're going to do two scrapbooks of course and 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 they'll have that i mean it's never it never crossed our minds that this would be something that we would ever even think about doing you know it was just a, 
I just applied on a whim and never really thought anything of it, you know, and, and yeah. yeah, here we are today. Very good. Well, I hope now they won't be uh, popping up in a couple of years on, on all sorts of different things. Are they going to be those kind of celebrity babies now? <laughs> you know, Dancing Look, with the Stars next year, talking about their acting career. <laughs> I'm not sure. They're, um, you know, boisterous toddlers now at this stage. And, you know, living in West Cork, we'd have to do a fair bit of travel, I think, to get to... Um, to different sets but you know if, if film crews wanted to come down into our backyard they're more than welcome <laughs> <laughs> very good and how did you find the lockdown with the, with the two of them look how do I say it politely same thing different day with yeah. with um, 19 month olds you just routine and, and you go with it and, and living in such a beautiful part of the world we just went on walks every day and foraging and little nature trails and yeah the girls are grand you know you'd never pass a soul and out in the buggy and yeah so it was it was really nice lots of baking and all sorts ah, good they have each other anyway yeah. to play with oh There's absolutely yeah, we're very lucky yeah good yeah. stuff Randa congratulations um, I hope this a bit put aside for the college fund is there <laughs> from the enormous <laughs> fees they will have got <laughs> well I'm not sure about that but <laughs> they've been looked after shall we say <laughs> good stuff thanks very much and uh, lovely you. to see them starring in Young Avengers on Friday night I'm sure it'll be repeated and it's up in the RT player anyway um, Nola and Penny Richardson playing baby star in, in the show fair play to Randa like a Jeepers, getting on, uh, up and out to a mother and baby coffee morning or a baby massage or any of those things is difficult enough. But having to get to, out on a film set every day or nearly every day for six weeks, that's a big commitment with um, one small baby, not mine too. Um, 1850-715-996 if you want to talk about any of our upcoming topics including schools coming back and um, also going to be talking about that pandemic payment issue. Uh, next though I think I'm going to be talking to Elizabeth who has a problem up around Shenton Street. 1850-715-996 This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 083-396-9696 On Cork's 96 FM Elizabeth Hayes is on the line Good morning Elizabeth Good morning, how are you? Not too bad Elizabeth, tell me what's the problem um, I'm living in, you know, in a state or well in with houses, you know, and the rubbish outside my door is outrageous, you know. It's actually coming out from the wall, uh, right outside my door, and there's rats and everything around the place, and it's very dirty, and the smell from in there is unreal, you know, and it's like from people throwing rubbish that don't live there. Mm. So now it's after mounting up, and uh, we're after contacting the council to remove it, and they are saying that they won't, that they want uh, tenants to pay themselves to get rid of rubbish that's not even theirs. So, which is wrong as well, like, you know. Okay, so it's a it's a council um, housing development, is it? Yeah. And you're off Shandon Street there somewhere, so it's kind of, is it gated or what makes your, your yeah, area there, so attractive there, to there's, people? There's a gate there, like, um, there's like um, a gate where you have a code to in, but the code has been broke for a while. Ah. They fixed it about four weeks ago. And it's broke again, so people are able to come in, or people from outside know the code from people giving it to them around the area. Do you know that throw the rubbish in there already into the bins? Yeah. So a lot. Also, oh, the shared bins is there? Yeah, like right. there is like uh, from another gate down a bit, a little bit down. They also go to the same bins, so it's like everybody uses like there are two big bins, but they're right beside my house, so 
I get the smell in my house from the bins and now I have the rats outside my door, you know, which is not fair at all, like, you know, and uh, it's just because you can't have kids out there or anything like, you know, mm-hmm. um, so when you're coming out, like, the smell is hitting you and it's really awful, like, you know, and it's not fair in anybody around that area to be putting up that rubbish like or anything like, you know. No, it's, it sounds awful. And is have you any idea who's doing it? We have no idea who's doing it, like, you know, um, it's just every time we're coming out, there's more added. There's a lot more now. Like the, the like there, it's all old furniture. It's rubbish. Everything is there. It just smells and the whole lot. Like you know. Yeah. So you've got onto the council with no satisfaction. Yeah, we got onto the council and uh, we got no satisfaction. And other people in the area got onto the council and there was no satisfaction either from them off them as well. So it's just left there. So the more people are going to be dumping stuff, the more it's going to be. And it's worse where I'm living because my house is right beside the rubbish. So it's it's not fair at all. Like, you know, like no kids can go out there. Like there's kids in the area. They can't go playing because of the smell, the rubbish, the rats there. So it's, it's really bad. And did it get worse during the lockdown? It did. It got worse during the lockdown, yeah. You see, because you weren't getting through to council all the time either. And when you did then you were getting told that somebody would call you back and nobody's calling you back. So it was quite hard, like, you know, I know because the amount of furniture that has been dumped there, it's getting larger and larger outside the door. So it's coming right literally outside my door. So it's quite bad, like. Yeah. No, it's, um, it sounds desperate, Elizabeth. Um, so you've been to the council to no, no satisfaction. I mean, have you called into the office or rang them or how has that gone? Yeah, we have gone over and we have called a number of times and it, it, it is bad. Like, you know, they're just not, they're just refusing to do it really, like, you know. Okay. Well, Councillor Ted Tynan is on the line. Ted, is that your area? Well, um, not really, no. Yeah. It should be on the boundary, you know. Water Coast Road is the boundary. Um, yeah, I think Shannon Street may be in my area. I can't remember now. I, d- I didn't think it was. Map, I, I thought it was on the other side, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, northeast. It could be, actually. Um, okay, but you uh, haven't been dealing with Elizabeth on this issue? Not not really, no. Right. But I, I, I understand exactly where she's coming from. You have the same problem up you, in Glenamoy? You have, yeah, and you can multiply that several times and you can imagine the situation in Lenamoy Lawn in Mayfield. Why is and, it so much worse? Um, well, there's a number of elements there now. Uh, if you take 10 years ago, the Waste Management Service of Cox City Council was privatised mm. and it has deteriorated since then. Now, you will always have a tiny minority who will, uh, like I do a lot of hill walking and you go to the beautiful mountain areas up by the up in the Galtees and that mm. and you'll find where the car parks are provided you'll see the remains of rubbish left behind people who go out there, you know. You'll also see the issue on beaches. So there is a, a minority of people who are just dirty, I think they didn't they, they won't take the rubbish home with them and all that. Mm. But the biggest issue and your your um the person in Shannon Street is suffering as a result of the privatisation of the waste management services. Yeah. And I, in fact, have a motion coming to the council now again the next few days, and it'll come up hopefully in September, that Cox City Council would apply to the government to bring the waste management services back under public ownership and control. In that way, then... Do you think that's the only solution, Ted? 
it's 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 not it's in the short term it's not the solution mm. in the long term it is yeah but um you also need Cox City Council now we need to make contact with the HSE and move into these areas. I don't know if there's rat infestation in Shandon Street or not, but the city well, council HSE. There's a good HSC, few up there at the moment anyway because they're running everywhere. Oh, jeepers. Okay, it sounds from Elizabeth like uh, there certainly is, yeah. yeah. Like you there's, the there's city, a lot. Like you could see them out in the main road when you're walking down and everything like they're running there oh, and they're big huge yeah. things and all. They're not little things at all. Yeah, and I know well, you sent us in some photos there, Elizabeth, of what it's like. Yeah, and it's, they're it's, huge. It's quite bad, like, yeah. and like you could see there was a picture of a rat, and that was only a small one. But the ones that run around are actually much bigger. Yeah. like they're actually huge. And I goes, oh my god, it's like size of a cat. Yeah. they're that big. And Ted, like, why would the council not reply to this? Is that your experience of them with these kind of complaints? It is, I think, yeah, because what. There, there may be uh, an element of, um, well, if she put the rubbish there and let you know live in the docks, you know, that kind of thing. And in Glenamoy Lawn, the vast majority of the people up there, I've been in their flats, I've been in their apartments, in their homes. They're beautifully and clean. They have their bins li- lined up. They, they put the bin out for collection and all that. That's the vast majority of people. Yeah. And then in the minority of people, then I can see some of them they are finding it difficult to manage their um, their waste, you know. Yeah. Uh, I I was in Dunn stores you know, on Saturday evening, I think it was, and if you see a trolley load of shopping coming out and being unloaded into the boat of the car, and you look at the contents in the trolley, uh, it's overpowering with plastic. It's almost three to one of the items that you get in the supermarket in favour of plastic. The amount of plastic coming out of shopping centres now is unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely there's, it's huge. there's a kind of a link to everything, you know what I mean? And uh like I I at, at, in our home now there's three of us living here now as a result of the lockdown. Our son is living with us for the last uh, four or five months. And we I find that I would have three bags of plastic to one bag of uh, paper. And that would nearly include newspapers. If I put the newspapers totally separate, I'd say it would be nearly five to one, you know? Yeah, it's a huge so amount of waste generated already. It is, yeah. The yeah. vast majority of that is plastic. But coming back again to the, to the dumping, um, I I will be calling Cox City Council that they will liaise with the HSE. And the HSE already know about the rat infestation in Glenamoy and Mayfield. And they need to get the rat together. In fact, um, is it Deidre, is it? Yep. Yeah. Deidre, last Thursday morning, I was up in Glenamoy Lawn and on foot of number of phone calls, um, I came across um, eight dead rats. And about two hours later, having called into a number of people and coming back, there was two of them left. Now, where did the others go? And I was told by the people there that the, the crows came down and took them away. You know. Wow. So you have crows now diving on dead rats, whether they've been poisoned or killed by a cat. And in fact, in Glenamoy Lawn, the lighter side of it then is there is one fantastic warrior cat up there who will uh, get a rat and bring the rat to the almost to the front door oh, great. of the of his home. Lovely. And drop the rat. Oh, and you know cats do that, as you know <laughs> yourself. But it's that's the light heart side of it, but it is a serious thing. Yeah. You have you have that woman in uh, Glenamoy Lawn who had to leave her home in the middle of the night. 
and she made an attempt to come back into it on Saturday night, but had to get out again. Yeah. You know, the sound of a rat crawling around inside the dry lining in the flat, you know, the um, the the kind of uh, the slab that they put on walls, you know. Yeah. And you've, you've that also... There was a heating system, which is a story in itself, installed a few years ago. There was piping then, holes drilled in the walls to bring piping from these um, air-to-air machines mounted either on the roofs of the flats or on the backs of the infill hoses there. And the rats can make their way in around these pipes. They were never properly sealed up. Right. You know? so, so it just sounds like you, a total mess, you know, Ted. I mean, it, you're, it you're is, saying so. that the, the council are not... Um, are just not kind of responsive enough to people when they are complaining, making these complaints. Yeah, so far they're not they're not responding. This is going on for months now, and I remember raising the issue about two years ago, but it's gotten ten times worse now. And when I was up there Friday evening, and we were with a photographer taking photographs and last, um, I I kind of I was stunned by it. Quite honestly, Dave, I I didn't realise how bad it was, even though. I've been contacted by people and I saw some of it. But walking around the courtyard on Friday evening, we spent a good while in there making our way through the trees and the overgrowth. And another thing as well that's adding to it is in Glenamoyle Lawn at the moment, there are a number of vacant flats. Some of them are idle for two years and right. a little bit more. Yeah. And these flats then become the target of people that don't know. They know which flats are idle. And the flats as well, which isn't seen from the road outside, by the way, because the um, courtyard up there is totally surrounded by the block of flats. It's like an island in between the flats. Right. And it's there for children to spend time to play. It's there for the residents to go out and sit and sit out in the sun or whatever, you know, to enjoy a kind of a, a green oasis. But unfortunately, it's overgrown and... The dumping is going on and you can imagine then there's a person in one of the upper floor flats open the window and drop a bag of rubbish out down into the garden of a next door flat that is idle, you know. Yeah. And that's... And Ted, with regard to that courtyard, is that um, something that's supposed to be kept up by the council? It should be, yeah. yeah. And is there any, like, I'm just saying, as a, say, as a resident where, where I live, there's an extremely active tidy towns. Is there any kind of residence committee together that might clean it up? You see, the nature of, of, of the apartments, uh, Deirdre, is that the people are kind of transient, you know? Yeah. They'll come and they'll stay, and then when their families increase, they'll then move down to a house or something like that, yeah. you know? But I think it's uh, what I'm calling for now is the council going. Uh, regardless of the reasons why the rubbish is there, clean the place up, trim back the trees, leave the trees, because the trees are fairly mature now and they're beautiful trees, trim them back yeah. and cut the ground growth then, you know, so that there's no cover and get their machine in every so often, cut the grass and uh, and leave the people then in, in, enjoy that little bit of o- oasis for themselves yeah. and their children. Okay, and Ted, indeed, I'm going to have to leave you go there, but I think that's a good right, point yes, about, about the maintenance. And Elizabeth, so you to date have had no luck. Um, now, we will put in a query with City Hall in relation to this for you. A caller says, Cork City Council are responsible for the clean-up of that area. It is on their website, so they're responsible. Somebody else says City Council are responsible, but the crows are taking them away. Maybe we should employ the crows from now on and not the City Council. I know, maybe we should give them away, anyway. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so like it is an area that is the council's responsibility. I mean, if you were working for, if you were living rather um, in a private estate and paying paying a private landlord, you'd expect the landlord to do the same, wouldn't you? But would you? you mind, like, is you're paying like money for the rubbish as well on your rent? So like yeah. they should be doing it like, you know, it's not like you're only paying the rent, you're paying for your rubbish also. Like, and yeah. This is ridiculous, like, you know, even like with other jobs, they can't even do it, like, to be quite honest, you're waiting years for them to do something like in your house. Yeah, yeah, or as you say, that that, um, that code on the gate, I mean, that would solve all of it, really, wouldn't it? Um, like, that, if the that code, code on the gate was, was fixed. broke over, like, two and a half years. It got fixed literally four weeks ago, and it's broke again, it's since, broken, I yeah. think, two days ago again. Yeah, jeepers. And you'd love to know who did it because uh, obviously the council... Like, uh, you love to know who's actually dumping the rubbish yeah. because it's that much, like, to know, yeah. but... And is there been any, like, have you been able to get together and go through it or anything? Or, I mean, well, I know you, you see, have to take it's precautions. All furn- it's, it's all furniture and over the rain and stuff like that before. Wow. It's all gone, you know, the way it goes mushy and all that. Yeah. And it smells and all that. Like, and then there's the, the rats in it. So, like... We like uh, other tenants would have swept out there and cleaned there before the furniture got yeah. the way it is. Like they clean their own little bits out there, you know, yeah. and pick up the rubbish. Like you know, they they do that between them, like you know. Yeah. And uh, it was clean, but since the rubbish now, like there's like nobody's going to go out and touch the rubbish, like because the, no, the rats too here, much like of you it. know. Yeah. Uh, so like you wouldn't expect anybody to be doing it either, like you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But for the council to be ignoring to be doing it, it it's quite outrageous, like you know. Yeah. Okay, Elizabeth, we uh, Mick Nugent, who is one of your local councillors, has called in and he's going to um, follow up on that for us. Um, so hopefully you'll get some resolution. Elizabeth Hayes in Shandon Street, that rat problem. And yeah, I mean, Elizabeth has sent us the pictures and they look pretty horrific. Uh, Noreen from Right to Water has also been on to say the City Council should be clearing up that area. It's their responsibility. Um, so the um, in relation to social welfare, we'll be coming back to that in a while. Rita says, this has always been an effect. I've been on disability for years and I've also worked in CE schemes. I'm now on a means-tested pension and on all three payments I've been told this. The new feature, Rita, seems to be that you were always able to go abroad for up to two weeks if you told your social welfare office because obviously you couldn't show up to, to sign on or whatever. Um, but now you can't do that either. Um, that apparently is new. So, um, I don't know, maybe other people, Rita says she says she was told not to travel. Um, I, the official, certainly the official line is that you could travel before and now you, you can't. Um, next up though, we were talking about this a bit last week, uh, talking about the schools coming back, but there is still nothing, no plan in place for um, children particularly and adults who need to avail of different disability and day services. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. And um, if you want to text or WhatsApp, 83 396 96 96. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. All the talk, of course, in the last couple of days is about the schools reopening, and today we are seeing the blueprint for that and how it's going to look and what money is there to do it but a lot of parents are still in the dark about when their children's therapy services and day services are going to resume. Um, Elaine Kelly is on the line. Elaine, your daughter attends Enable Ireland but she hasn't been able to for the last while. Yeah, hi Deirdre. Um, Beth has been going to Enable Ireland for about two years and she hasn't had a face-to-face session with a therapist since February. Um so we've had some kind of intermittent teletherapy sessions, um, sort of maybe once once a month or once every three weeks. 
with her team, um, but she hasn't actually had um, a face-to-face session with a therapist in, about, in almost six months. Okay, and ordinarily, how often would she be going? Uh, she would normally be going every week for her um, occupational therapy and speech therapy, and then maybe every second week for physiotherapy. And also, they um, in Lavana Centre has a lovely hydrotherapy pool as well, mm-hmm. so she would usually avail of that at least once a week, if not twice a week. Okay, so she's really missed out. Yeah, she has. So um, I know the Ilvana Centre started their reopening, uh, phase one of their reopening, I think it was the week before last. So their staff are back in the building um, and they've had some some clinics for occupational therapy and physiotherapy for the children who are most in need. Um, but we've been told that they really won't be able to progress with their reopening, um, the next phase of their reopening, without further funding from the HSE. So they're still waiting for additional funding from the HSE to cover, you know, PPE costs and cleaning costs and things like that. Yeah. Um, and they did submit a costing to the HSE there at the start of the month and nothing has happened on that yet. Okay, so at this stage you still kind of are in the dark about when she'll have any kind of normality back? We are really because obviously they've had to reduce their capacity. Um, so even though they have you know, reopen the services for some children. They obviously have, you know, hundreds of children on their caseload. So, uh, you know, how they're going to manage that logistically um, going forward, it'll mean, I suppose, maybe less frequent face-to-face sessions and more of a blended approach to therapy between telehealth and face-to-face sessions. Um, I think the problem, my daughter is three and a half, Mm. (laughs) so telehealth can be challenging. Yeah. With her, you know, you can imagine trying to engage with the laptop screen is not No, it's ideal. not ideal for that age. She'd be looking for a pet bat trying to figure out why, why this person's talking to her. Um, exactly. Elaine, what's the nature of Beth's disability? Um, so Beth has, um, she doesn't have a diagnosis. Um, she has a number of complex issues. So she has mobility issues and she's profoundly deaf as well so she's pre-verbal at the minute um, and she has a number of other um, other things going along with that as well but um, I suppose with Enable Ireland they would address her you know her mobility issues and occupation therapy then for things like feeding skills and that sort of thing. Yeah so that's really hands-on. It's very hands-on, yeah. So at the moment, you know, I'm trying to do it with her, um, being guided by her therapists. Um, and, you know, it's it's difficult. You, you know, you sort of, from week to week, um, usually you would have the guidance of a therapist maybe at the start of the week and you know exactly what you're t- supposed to do for the next five days. Mm. And it's very focused, but it's sort of easy to lose your, to lose track, you know, when you're not seeing somebody frequently yeah um so we've actually been bringing her for private physiotherapy sessions um for the last six weeks or so um just to try and you know fill the gap um and i know a lot of other families from enable ireland have had to do the same yeah um you know at at great expense um and you know unfortunately not every family can afford to do that yeah of course so it's it's still like you're hearing this about the schools this morning about the extra funding and all of that and so like they're able to do it for the schools but this obviously is a different funding line through the hse and there just is there anything happening with it 
so uh, myself and one of the other mums, um, a couple of the other mums have been trying to lobby TDs in the background. So we've emailed all of the relevant ministers um, over the past month or so, um, and also the Tanisha and the Taoiseach. Mm. Um, and we've uh, sort of gone down other routes as well. So the, uh, a couple of TDs have posed um, an official question to the Minister for Health for us. Um, in the doll, um, so that has been referred now to the HSE. But that that was a couple of weeks ago, and we haven't heard anything back. Um, I suppose we're, we're conscious that the doll break is is going to resume. I think it's next week yeah. for six weeks. So um, you know, it's obviously something we were hoping to, to get some sort of answer on before that happened. Um, but yeah, the I was listening to one of your callers last week, and she pointed out that the Minister for Disability. Equality and Inclusion has a sort of delegated the, the task of disability services to his junior minister. So, mm. you know, it's frustrating that disability services seem to be, you know, last on the list yeah. in terms of funding. And also the stimulus package last week, we were hoping there might be something in there. Yeah. Um, I know that Simon Harris, I think, increased funding for third level um, students disability, but nothing for services. Um, which is very frustrating. Um, and Enable Ireland, you know, I'm sure as most people know, is, it, is essentially a charity. It, it gets, um, you know, a small portion of its funding from the HSE, but it's really reliant on what it does receive. Um, and their fundraising streams of yeah. income obviously declined a lot during the lockdown. Um, and also going forward, their commercial income stream will will be reduced significantly as well. So they're even more reliant on HSE funding now than okay. they would be in enormous circumstances. So um, so we're hoping to get some sort of answer back. Um, but so far, the HSE has really been silent on, on us, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, that's always a story, isn't it? You kind of get stonewalled. Elaine, I hope that yeah. um, I hope that there is some news for you soon and that Beth can get back to kind of normality because it's, um, I know for, for children with with kind of developmental delays or anything like that, any further delay is really, really crucial to their um, progress. Um, Elaine yeah. Kehley, whose daughter Beth attends Enable Ireland, still waiting to hear, um, will there be any extra funding for those kind of services in order to let them get back up and running and help all those kids who are so badly in need of that assistance. Um, lots more coming up in relation to the pandemic payment. Michael has texted in about the rubbish. I'll read that in a moment. If you have anything you'd like to say, 083 96 96. A couple of weeks ago, the Irish Council for Civil Liberties tweeted that they had been informed by people travelling through Dublin Airport that they were being asked for their PPS numbers. That isn't a standard part of travel and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And now it turns out, according to a piece in yesterday's business post, um, it turns out that unemployed people who have flown abroad on, abroad on holidays in defiance of public health advice are having their state payments stopped. So this applies to people who are claiming the pandemic unemployment employment payment or a job seekers payment. Um, A lot of response to this on social media, a lot of people talking about it and I want to know do you think people who travel abroad should lose their payment? Um, You can text or WhatsApp 0833 96 96 96 holiday or payment yes if it should be cancelled, payment no um, if they should keep it. Uh, is that a bit confusing, Fergal? Maybe I'm re- wording that badly. But let us know what you think anyway. 083 96 96 96. Um, if you think people who travel abroad should have their payment cancelled, payment yes. If you think they should keep it, payment no. Um, 
there's been a huge reaction to this. People are saying that the data is a problem, that basically a government department shouldn't be able to get your data from, from an airport. Um, other people saying, look, it's fair enough, we're being told not to travel. But equally, you know, if you are earning or if you are in some other, getting some other payment you're not affected by this. So is it just punishing people who are unemployed for being unemployed? Um, You know, for example if you booked your holiday last year and you subsequently lost your job due to COVID and you are on the pandemic unemployment payment, should you be penalised for taking the holiday that you've booked and paid for? Pat Phelan is on the line about this. Pat, what are your thoughts on it? I I, I think it's a dramatic change and I disagree with it. I, I, I think, one, we had, a, we had a very clear rule. If you were unemployed, you could go on two weeks' holidays, and that was fine. Yeah. Now what's changed is there's been a, a new update, a new statute, an updated law uh, issued by Minister Humphreys, which was kept really quiet until the Taunish announced it yesterday, where he said that, you know, it, it's changed totally. If you're on a COVID payment or an unemployment payment, and you leave the country, your, your your payment is gone. But you have, on the other hand, been told, "Hey, there's all these green countries, and that's mm. fine." And I think I think there's a three prob- three sided problem with this. One, the payment. Two, the green countries, and as important, thirty four thousand people landed in Ireland last week. Yeah, four percent of them were followed up with. So we have a huge inbound problem, not an outbound problem. And now we're penalised. Like, it's a very simple way of thinking of this. If John and Mary are going on on holidays and John works full-time and worked throughout the COVID and was a frontline worker or whatever, and Mary worked in Debenhams and was laid off, Mm. Mary now, and they're going to a green country, Mary's payment will be cut. I think that's totally and utterly ridiculous. Whilst you've a thousand, whilst at the same time, you have a thousand people a week landing from the USA and Ireland and only 4% of them be followed up with. Yeah, no, I noticed at the weekend, anybody who was out and about at the weekend will have seen or, or um, certainly seen lots of tourists around that um, all indications are, are not from Ireland. So you're certainly right about that, Pat. Um, in terms of the, like, you've been, you're a successful entrepreneur, Pat, but you've been unemployed in your time, I think. Um, I have, absolutely. I've been on the dole and, and that's why and I've made clear to people I always pay my tax in Ireland. Yeah. It's completely easy to avoid. Ireland has been astonishingly good to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like you, I think you see both sides of this in a way that maybe not everybody in your position now would. Like, do you, do you, I suppose, in that period when you were on the dole, um, how was it, how were you treated differently to how you're treated now? Well, of course, the radio stations weren't ringing me for this. <laughs> I'd say we've plenty of callers that are on the dole. I wouldn't be, uh, <laughs> wouldn't be surprised. But they weren't that. messaging me. So what do you think? <laughs> you weren't. Twitter I, wasn't there. I then. probably had the kind of an audience like I have now, yeah. where I can kind of make an opinion, and you know, and, yeah. and I can get slated for it. And, and, and you know what I thought yesterday? It's quite amazing. I put this up yesterday, and I thought there was also a certain level of kind of you're affecting. They're unemployed. How could they be going on holidays? Yeah. And you know, kind of, a, and it, it, it's a complete change for what we had a couple of months ago where we're all in this together, look after your fellow man or woman, yeah. send them our own food, etc. And now we're kind of pointing at people. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's desperately unfair. But I think the most important thing for me is we can't run inbound quarantine 
but we can very easily report people who are going on holidays. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a double standard, really, in, in more ways than one. It's two-sided, you know. And yeah. Like, I, I, I know all along the government have shared travel lists because, you know, they want to see where criminals are going and who's moving where. And I think that's very important. But I think criminalising someone because they're unemployed and because their husband may be employed or their partner may be employed is, is completely wrong. And it sends a total... Oh, you know, especially in a week where, you know, guys are getting 16 grand a year rises. Yes. Yeah. The, like, this is it. I asked Michael McGrath about that on Friday and he just said, oh, well, equal pay for equal work. But he talked I to teachers about that. Room, or, didn't even know they were voting for it this week. Oh, of course, of course there was. Um, I mean, talk to teachers or nurses or any other public servants even about that, where they're earning maybe 10 grand less than the person sitting next to them in the staff room because they came in the wrong year. Um, and I don't think there's much sympathy for the... Um, for the government on that. Pat, thanks for that. I think it's, it's an interesting view that you have, having been on both sides of this. Um, one of the things, actually you mentioned tax, one of the things I've seen a lot of people tweeting about is how the rules were relaxed for tax exiles so that, um, say for example, um, if you were resident in Malta or... Um, Where's the, where are the other places? If you're resident in the likes of Malta for tax purposes and you were at home in Ireland, or sorry, you were in Ireland at maybe your second or third home um, during when the pandemic struck and when lockdown hit, that you had to remain here, that you wouldn't lose your tax exile status. Um, what, any thoughts on that? Well, that was a hundred uh, tax exiles, which can stay in most places outside Ireland, which Switzerland, Malta, Andorra, there's a number of them. They can they can only come to Ireland 183 days a year, mm-hmm. so that was easily relaxed. And now we're penalising people because they've had a chain of bad luck over COVID. The business where they work has failed, or they're still not brought back to work, and they might have a partner paying for everything, and they can't go on all this. Yeah, yeah, Pat Phelan, thanks for that. It's a, it's an interesting one. I'd just like to know what you think. If you are on the payment and you have no problem with this, I've heard from a couple of people who say, you know, they're on the payment and they don't mind. Um, they're saying, you know, this is uh, this is part of the social solidarity. This is what caused the payment to be given. Uh, Katie says, I'm on it. How would people feel if I booked flights to Greece and spent the next four weeks on the beach living off taxpayer funds? With limited exceptions for genuinely, genuinely essential travel, this makes sense. Kira says, suppose you travel abroad for a funeral. Like one thing we do have to remember, obviously lots of us have relatives abroad, but particularly people who aren't necessarily from Ireland um, may have people in their home country who are sick or who have passed away from COVID or from other things, of course, um, who wish to go to that funeral. Like, should they be penalised for that? Um, I'm not sure if there is an exception for genuine, for essential travel, uh, but I suppose we'll um, we'll see as the, the facts become more clear. Luke says, it's people seem to miss a grossly insane breach in GDPR. Always going to be the same idiots slating those who get welfare of any description. This is woeful behaviour and a complete dig at everyone. It's alright for the wealthy to do whatever. It's fine for flights to come in but those on low income must languish in deprivation while they get, they is the junior ministers a 16 grand pay increase on holidays after only a few minutes in government. What? A horrible shower and anyone who doesn't get how disgusting this is needs a lump hammer. Communist Crap, I don't really understand how it's communist, Luke, but um, thank you. Uh, 1850715996, Mick Barry coming up next on this. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Talking about this issue of people who are on the pandemic unemployment payment or on job seekers being 
punished basically for uh, defying government advice and going on holidays. I'm interested to know whether you think uh, it should be withdrawn from people who go on holidays. Apparently there is no clear-cut legality to this. Uh, I've been speaking earlier this morning to Simon McGar, who is a solicitor, you might recognise the name we'd have him on the show the odd time and he reckons that the statutory instrument that brought this in says travel on holiday is permissible in line with the advice but the advice says it is not a prohibition and everyone is free to make up their own mind. Therefore he says as a matter of legal certainty how can any travel for holiday be impermissible? So Mick Barry is on the line about this. Mick you, you obviously are not happy with this. Hi Deirdre. No I'm not happy with it. It's a clear double standard. Um I mean, if you're a business person and you go abroad for your holidays, uh, you will not be penalised, despite the fact that your company may be drawing down the temporary wage subsidy scheme. The same point applies for someone who is working. Mm. Uh, but if you're unemployed, there is a penalty. Uh, and as for it being in defiance of government advice, government advice has pointed in two directions. I mean, it is true that people have been told uh, best not to travel uh, abroad at all unless it's essential. Well, we had the publication of the Green List, uh, which said if you're travelling abroad, travel to one of these uh, 15 uh, countries. Mm. Um, So there's a complete double standard here in the approach uh, of the government. Uh, And you can't help feel that there's a a nasty edge to it in terms of uh, targeting people who are unemployed. I think a lot of people commenting on it felt that it was um, it harked back to Leo Varadkar's welfare cheats, cheat us all uh, campaign. Yeah, um, the policy has been introduced by the Minister for Social Protection uh, Heather Humphreys, who's a strong supporter of uh, Varadkar. Um, she is comes from a farming background in Monaghan. Um, I don't think that um, the experience of someone who's experienced unemployment would be something that would be Uh, terribly familiar in that sense. Um, I wonder whether there is an element of public humiliation about this. I mean, I haven't been to an airport to see exactly how this is in operation. I'd Mm. be interested to know that. Are people being yanked out of queues? No, I guess they're being asked for their PPS number that's being followed up on afterwards. Yeah, okay. But the the penalty is, you know, it's it's quite severe. Um, You're penalised for the two weeks in which you go abroad but you're also penalised for the two weeks that you have to quarantine when you come back. So for someone on the um, pandemic unemployment payment, that's €350 multiplied by four. That's €1,400 that you're being penalised. And if you're on job seekers, that's over €800 that you're being penalised. That mightn't be a lot of money to the likes of Leo Varadkar or Heather Humphreys, but for someone who's unemployed, who's lost their job because of the COVID crisis, that's a hell of a lot of money. It's what puts the... uh, the food on the table and keeps the roof over the head. And people might say, well, why are you traveling abroad on a holiday then? Unemployed people have a right to a holiday as much as anybody else. A couple of texters suggesting, one person says, my reading of the article is that they're concentrating on those who are leaving Ireland to go home for a period of time and not people going on holiday. And of course, this is the thing that's come up before, Make it usually comes up with relation to child benefit, that you have people who live in Ireland but are maybe not from Ireland, that they're going home to wherever they originally came from um, and they're still claiming a payment. Uh, that, I suppose there is, um, there is a certain number of people that that might be the case with. Yeah, look, if there's an abuse of the system, um, that is n- not anything that anyone is going to stand over. That That is wrong and it should be dealt with. Um, but what you've got is a broad brushstroke policy here where people who um, are not in that position, and that would be the majority, I would imagine, 
uh, who've lost their job as a result of COVID, who've maybe been under a lot of pressure and stress, mental health over the last while, have seen the green list and said, yes, I'll have a bit of that. I'll, I'll, I'll get away and give myself a bit of a break, are now uh, losing potentially nearly €1,500 as a result of this. It's it's completely wrong, and it should be withdrawn, and the government will be under pressure in the doll this week to withdraw it, I think, as well. Okay, Mick Barry, um, TD, thank you for that. Uh, Tom says, two working-class people save for a year to go on holiday, and now because of COVID, they're out of work. They don't get a refund if they don't travel, and now their payment is cut. It's a disgrace. Yeah, Tom, like, I do have some sympathy for people in that situation. It's one thing, you know, having booked a holiday if you have plenty of money. If it's your, maybe holiday once every few years, and you're not in a well-paid job, and now you have no job. Um, it's it's a tough situation to be in, but equally, I suppose, are you comfortable travelling yourself? Um, somebody else says, on the topic of stopping COVID payment, my reading... Oh yeah, I read that one already. Sorry, Rachel texted in to say, I know someone that's gone to Spain with four children. Children play sport, GAA, soccer, etc. I can't see them staying away from these sporting facilities when they come home for 14 days, or even stop the kids playing out the front of estates. It's not fair on other people trying to stop, stay safe, staying at home. Yeah, Rachel, absolutely. I spoke to somebody the weekend who knew someone else taking children to Spain um, kind of against the wishes of other family members and I that's that's a really tough one inside a family to deal with but publicly um, in terms of your interaction with other people then when you come home I know that public servants who are listening will have been told they have to take annual leave for sorry they have to take unpaid leave to quarantine when they come home so if you're a public servant and you're travelling um, you will be entitled to your annual leave obviously for the period in which you're holidaying abroad but when you come home and you have to quarantine for 14 days apparently you're not entitled to um, take that as annual leave even if you have the days built up and you're not allowed to work from home during your quarantine either and to continue to be paid you have to take it as unpaid leave now I know we had somebody last week who who told us that and we couldn't confirm this with the department it seems to be a bit up in the air that when you come back from your holidays it is possible Possible to go to the doctor, get a cert to say that you were abroad and that you could have COVID, and to use that to claim the payment, um, you know, as if you had COVID. The only thing is, if you went to your doctor for that cert, they'd get you tested. You'd be tested within two or three days. You'd might be testing negative but you'd still have to quarantine so I don't really understand if that's the case um, Antoinette says RT Twitter quotes Leo Varadkar is saying they get information from airports Dublin airport and their Twitter say they don't give information uh, yeah that's right I think the airport aren't giving the information necessarily but it could be customs guards or anybody um, I gathered the PPS numbers according to the Council for Civil, Liber- Civil Liberties the PPS numbers were being collected at airports so maybe that was by the guards um, or by somebody else I don't know um, it's it's a bit of a mystery, all right. Tom believes the people who go on holidays are have done simply because they couldn't get a refund. Yeah, I think I read that one already. So I'd just love to know what you think. Do you think it's well and good, it's fair, 0833969696, or do you think it's punishing people who already maybe have had a difficult enough time of it? Um, it's kind of, I don't know, it's a tough one to, to call. Uh, in relation to COVID, um, I don't know, it's funny, it feels like there's so few cases of it now um, that, I don't know, is it moot to know how to treat your kids if they have it? But at the same time, we know it's going to be back. So it's kind of, we're kind of in this weird limbo situation. Um, Dr. Sinead O'Byrne will tell me in a few moments about how to treat your kids if they do contract it, what you do with them, how you approach it um, and how to uh, ensure that they get through it. 
safely. Uh, we're also going to be talking in a while about um, Rumley's Open Farm, the very distressing report done into Rumley's recently by um, the Department, I think it was the Department of Agriculture did the report, um, where exotic pets at the farm were rehomed because um, they were they, they were rehomed as part of a managed closure. Department of Culture, Heritage and the Gwaeltoft, sorry, not Agriculture. I don't know what department is what at the moment. But um, that, that was covered extensively in the Mirror and I'll be talking to Darren MacDonald from the Mirror about it because um, I know a lot of people around Cork have very fond memories of Rumley's and people really enjoy going there. So interesting to keep in touch about that to know what's going on. Sinead O'Byrne, Dr. Sinead O'Byrne next about treating your kids with COVID. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Dr. Sinead O'Byrne joins me on the line to discuss how to treat your kids if they have COVID. Good morning, Sinead. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. No problem, Sinead. I think we're in this kind of weird bubble where there doesn't appear to be an awful lot of COVID around. Um, you're a GP, so you mm-hmm. meet people every day who are complaining of different things. Are you still yeah. getting cases coming to you? So, yeah, there was nothing um, uh, for ages, for, for a few months, you know. It went from a kind of a surge of referring people to almost like no calls coming in for COVID and it was all the ailments and the backlog and people having neglected themselves. We've been doing a lot of that. And then just recently, um, I've had two referrals in the one day. So not significant amounts, but it went from nothing, you know, complete suppression of the virus to, you know, we're starting to mingle again. And I guess, you know, you're hoping that these referrals are going to be um negative or not detected but obviously you know we are getting some cases but thankfully it seems to be at you know low levels that we're doing well I think as a country Mm -hmm. so that's good you know just to keep it like that to kind of do the social distancing and the the mask wearing and all of us in it together you know we're going to have to live with this for quite a while Um, and that's why I'm delighted to be part of this campaign because I'm, I'm finding you know, there's there's a lot of parents kind of phoning up um, about uh, how to treat things, you know, whether they can treat things or not. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of confusion. Um, and I mean, you know, just because we have COVID around doesn't mean that all the usual stuff doesn't happen. We're still getting, obviously, kids are still going to have temperatures. They're still going to have toothaches. They're still going to have, you know, the usual uh, ailments that we always have. So it's good to know how to treat them to make your life a little bit easier I think it's been a stressful time for everybody and um, you just want to make things as easy as possible you know particularly I think households have been under a lot of stress trying to kind of work and look after their kids it's been it's been a tough old time yeah actually on that are you seeing a lot of mental health um, stuff coming to you at the moment yeah, do you know, I am. I absolutely mm. am. I'm, I'm finding even, you know, elderly patients, uh, people in their 80s and 70s coming in and I'm, you know, having a chat to them and they're saying that they're being tearful. It's just, again, like everyone has been affected by this. You know, isolation in people that have been over 70 and 80, people that would normally be, you know, calling in, family would be calling in on them and, and they've really been starved of that over the last couple of months. And yeah, having to start people on antidepressants, absolutely, you know, huge mental 
uh, health effects for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm absolutely seeing that. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's amazing. It's what you'd kind of predict, and then it comes in the door, and you kind of go, "Oh God, there it is." Here it comes. Understandably yeah. so, and I, I'm kind of empathising, saying, "I completely know why you're feeling like this because." Yeah. You know, I think we, everybody's we feeling it to some degree, aren't they? Everyone is feeling stressed yeah. to some degree, absolutely. Yeah, it's but, so yeah, so Back to the kids though, so because yeah. I know that when the schools go back and well, when if, but I think it's when now rather than yeah. if, um, obviously creches are back. Joan has texted yeah. in to say, you know, it's 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 amazing that the creches have opened and they kind of, there's, in fairness to the creche workers, there's no big fuss about it. They they just seem to have gotten on with it, although I think that yeah. might be more to do with not being unionised uh, hugely than anything else. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, there's going to be inevitably there is there are going to be more cases and there are going to be clusters in in schools of some kind. So if if your child comes home with the temperature and then or or with some other symptom and you're mm-hmm. hearing maybe that there is is something in the school, I mean people are being notified quite quickly now if they've been in yeah. contact. What's your first step? So you know, yes, there's always a possibility things could be COVID, but you know there's much the possibility that it could be just a viral infection like we've always had. Once you get little children together mixing, yeah. you're going to have viruses and we're coming right into that season now. You know, September's only around the corner when you know, flu season kicks off. Um, but common colds are, you know, the most common reason. That, I think, is going to be the most common reason why your little child is going to have um, a temperature. So it's, you know, obviously you're going to chat to your GP because of COVID just to make sure that, you know, a temperature to discuss whether it could be COVID or not. But mostly I think it's going to be probably not COVID, you know, unless we get another um, outbreak or a particular outbreak in a particular vicinity. So to treat the temperature is what I would say. Um, So strip your child off and, you know, we have medicines to treat it and the same as ever, you know, you can use ibuprofen or paracetamol. And I mean, I'd be completely lost without... Um, having medicine in the the cupboard we we all have you know and you need to use them um, once you've got a high temperature because often uh, you know your child is not going to want to drink fluid if they've got a temperature they feel so uncomfortable you see the rosy cheeks and you know that's the to their vest and pants um, and you know basically give them medicine so I recommend you know giving medicine if they've got a temperature absolutely and a temperature is anything over 37.8 degrees so you can give ibuprofen or paracetamol you'll often need to use uh, two together as well depending if it's yeah. quite a, a persistent old temperature you can use ibuprofen every six to eight hours and uh, paracetamol every four to six and it is completely safe to do that that's the key message really and um, that, that it is absolutely safe to do that you just make sure you follow the patient information leaflet you know mm. read and in terms then of, so we've we've all done that like anyone who has gone through teething knows that routine absolutely. of um um, paracetamol, ibuprofen, paracetamol, ibuprofen. Yeah. Um, how many days or how long can you do that yeah. before you need to go to the GP? Well, look, I've practically, if you're kind of a, you're an experienced parent and you kind of, you're tuned into your child, I've a three-day rule where if they still have a temperature by day three, you know, they, they need to be examined. Um, obviously, if it's a first child, we all know what it's like, you know, and yeah. as a parent, when you have a first child and it's 
the temperature, you're absolutely terrified. Even as a doctor, you're kind of going, oh no, like the first temperature. It's probably and worse as a doctor because you know all the things it could be. Yeah, all the things it could yeah. be, exactly. And I, you know, there, I, I've even when I'm really tired, I will take out, there's a brilliant book, um, When Your Child is Sick and What You Can Do to Help. Yeah. Um, it was written by Professor Alf Nicholson. But uh, when I'm really tired, sometimes I need, need somebody to tell me what to do but that's a great little book that you can um, take out and there's a, a traffic light system for things to look out for okay. um, if they're really sick but I suppose the, the key message um, I would say to people is do not be afraid to use paracetamol and ibuprofen they are completely safe there was a lot of um, social media uh, at the start of the, the COVID kind of outbreak at, at the start of the pandemic saying that ibuprofen yes, there uh, was. wasn't safe and that was fake news, uh, which is also really, that's yeah. how fake news starts, just something put up on social media and it causes so much confusion and there was research done um, to show how confused parents are, you know, really really good substantial research with over a thousand uh, people uh, asked uh, to take part in a survey and more than, you know, about half of them being parents and it showed that they were really confused like less than half of them thought there was enough information treating symptoms of COVID in children. Like under a third uh, thought that, you know, that they were confident enough to treat symptoms of the virus. Yeah. So it just goes to show the kind of, the the, the fact that we kind of need to debunk any myths and, and share the yeah. facts. In um, terms of the respiratory them, symptoms you know? then, Sinead, yeah. um, I suppose actually, again, since March, I remember in March, the biggest thing was the cough and the, like a couple of people that we spoke to that had had this cough described mm. it really as a very, very difficult to breathe and really, really quite difficult. I know that since then people are showing up with different symptoms and they don't always have the cough. But if your Perfect. child has that awful hacking cough and that um, kind of difficulty breathing, um, what kind oh, of thing yeah. Can you do for that? Well, you know, I suppose if your child has a history of asthma, it's a very familiar kind of cough to what they would normally get yeah. when they get a little relapse. That's a different thing. It's more than likely it's asthma. And obviously you need to kind of phone the GP, always ring the surgery uh, before you go in to discuss those ailments because you don't want to infect. I think COVID levels are, are not... You know they're not at high levels at the moment, but it's still important to to phone and um, and discuss them. Um, I mean, it just depends on the 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 child. If they're getting shortness of breath that's out of out of the blue, well, then absolutely they need to be examined and assessed. You know, yeah. uh, but I wouldn't necessarily draw, jump to the conclusion that it is COVID either. You know, there there are some like, like anyone, adults or children, people that can have past medical history that makes them more at risk. They might have a heart issue. There might be some medical history. But a perfectly, normally well child that gets sudden shortness of breath, you know, they need yeah. to be examined, absolutely. Okay. Um, and yeah, there's a whole, like, adults and children have similar symptoms for COVID and you can get GI symptoms as well. But I think we're all almost like hypochondriacs at the moment. Uh, Watching out for everything. could be COVID, you know. Yeah. I think most people are thinking, oh my gosh, if a cough, it could be COVID. I'm sure it could be COVID. I've been a bit unwell of a funny rash. It could be COVID. And that's the way we're going to be for the next year and a half. But um, I, I would just reassure people that, you know, your GP is there to chat, to, uh, to pick up the phone to them. And um, and just don't be afraid to treat the everyday ailments because um, the, uh, the other thing, going back to this research uh, that was kind of, 
interesting showed that like uh, a lot of people weren't treating um, ailments and it meant that they had to kind of go and seek medical attention. So 23% of the people that were surveyed had to actually go and see a doctor because they weren't treating the pain. Right. So, you know, we also, we've got all these other things. COVID is going to be something that we have to live with and uh, we're still going to get temperatures in children because of other viruses. And we're heading right into that season now and uh, uh, we got to kind of treat and make make your child comfortable. And as a parent, you know when your child is, you know what you know when they're sick. And particularly if you if you're experienced and you're experienced, and you know that that mother sense, the parent kind of sense that they're not just quite right. That's a very yeah. powerful thing. And you know when a temperature goes down, and um, that's a very reassuring thing. And as a doctor, if I hear a parent say, "Look, they had a temperature," and um, I gave them ibuprofen or I gave them it's now gone down well that to me is very reassuring a temperature that will go down when it's heated and mm. um, that's that shows to me that it's um you know it's i'm starting to think that's possibly not meningitis now that's you know that's a controllable temperature so it's very very well it's very important from a comfort point of view to treat fever and pain because it's totally unnecessarily mm. necessary for your child to go around in pain and with the temperature yeah um, and if that temperature is not going down with uh, medicine well then you know you definitely need to get onto your gp that's that's not normal you know right. and that needs to be looked at okay dr schneider burn thank you for that and uh, obviously if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
See, with the schools going back, we are going to get all the usual colds and flus. I have to say, since um, my two have been out of crash, nobody in the house has been sick. Um, it's Well, I, I was once briefly, but um, normally, as anyone knows with small kids, they bring home everything and you end up catching everything from them but we've had a lovely break from that so I'd imagine there's a few other families in that situation as well Sheila says open the schools earlier and they'll be coming into the midterm break and then the flu season will hit um it will, like the flu season's going to hit anyway. So I, I saw there have been calls actually for, I think the GPs are looking for a, a nationwide flu vaccine programme to take the pressure off A&E's um, later in the flu season. Normally around Christmas, the A&E's tend to be really busy with flus um, and they're saying that everybody should be given the flu vaccination this year to try and avoid that because obviously they're expecting the second wave and they don't want the two of them to come at the same time. Um I, I've never got the flu vaccine. I've never been offered it. Even when I was pregnant, I was never offered it because I was pregnant at the wrong time because um, it's only a particular time of year that you kind of need it. And I'm wondering if, if you're someone who gets it every year and swears by it, let us know, or you're somebody who's against it. 1850 In relation to the schools, a caller says teachers are looking for too much, people are great and will adjust and kids need more credit. What are they looking for though, caller, apart from things that everyone else has in their workplace? Like I'm sitting here surrounded by antibacterial things of various natures. I'm in a room by myself. Fergal is in a room by himself. Nicole is in a room by herself. Um, in the newsroom, there's two of them in there because that's just the space, but there's screens between them. Everyone is wearing masks around the building aside from in their own uh, workstation. There's very few people still in our building. That's what most people back at work are doing. Teachers are looking for the same as everyone else, I think. Caller says, um, I'm not sure who that caller is referring to. Has he been outside at all? What is wrong, people? It's a joke. Just get on with it. No idea what that's about. Uh, in relation to masks, Margaret says, I was just in a shop in Cove. I know you, Deirdre. I don't know which Margaret this is, but I'm sure I know, know you, Margaret. And there was a woman without a mask, which I've learned to live with, sneezing into the shelf. Deliberately, not into her elbow, but she kind of ducked into the shelf in order not to spray people. What happens now if someone picks that up? The shops have to start enforcing the masks. I wouldn't believe someone would do that, but it shows what happens. I don't think it was malice. It was a poor reaction to a sudden sneeze. But if she was wearing a mask, it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, you're right, Margaret. They do need to start enforcing that. Like, if you can't wear a mask for medical reasons or whatever you know for your own sake should you be going to the shop then get someone else to go for you or get it delivered because you know it's it's yourself that you're protecting partially you know you're protecting other people but you're also protecting yourself um, Aoife has called in in relation to the services for kids with disabilities and she'll be back to me in just a moment she has written to all the politicians and is not very happy with the responses she's received I was speaking earlier to Elaine about her daughter Beth who attends Enable Ireland and basically Beth hasn't had a face-to-face appointment in Enable for nearly six months now she has a huge number by the sound of things of different needs that she, she requires help with and um, physical things that a lot of them very hands on and she would normally have maybe three or four things a week in there and really it's just been tele telehealth which for a non-verbal three and a half year old isn't isn't really that useful I would imagine um, that's not to be critical of the people in Enable Ireland the staff I'm sure are doing their best but they need HSE funding to reopen the services and apparently that is not forthcoming Aoife McConnell is on the line Aoife you're in the same boat are you? Yeah, no, I'm quite um, good friends with Elaine, so um, we've been trying to fight this over the past couple of weeks with support of family and friends, but it's just very, very slow. Yeah, and you've written to, to our three senior cabinet ministers in Cork South Central, um, oh, and so, yeah. you reckon they're not, they're not even hugely informed about it? Well, I suppose the thing is, is that when we heard that, you know, Michael McGrath, Michael Martin and Simon Coveney were going to be the big wigs 
um, after the election, we were elated, thinking, yes, now the kids of Cork are going to get, you know, what they need. But um, we reached out to all of them. Um, radio silence, except with the exception of Michael McGrath. To be fair, he did come back and he said, I assume everything is OK now. When I sent him a big, long um, email then saying, it's actually not. No, yeah. can you help, please? Um, but nothing back as of yet. Okay. And so how long ago was that, Aoife? That was uh, two weeks ago. Right. So um, I suppose it's it's just a case of being a parent of a child who has additional needs and who needs the services that are there. Like, I suppose the services wouldn't be there unless they were needed, yeah. right? There, There isn't a sense of urgency or there isn't an understanding out there to fight for these little kids mm. from all ages. And how old is your son, Aoife? Um, he'll be three in August. Okay, so he's very small as well. Yeah. Six months yeah, is a long time to a three-year-old. Oh, stop. It's, it's, to be in, in relation to development, it's, it's massive. Yeah. Massive. Um, there have been two TDs up in, um, two TDs that have posed questions to the Oireachtasaurus, um, an Alan, Alan Farrell and a James O'Connor. And the question has gone into the HSC, mm-hmm. but after that, we don't know where it's gone. We don't know, you know, is it just going into a big black hole? Yeah. You know, the with the funding that's coming in for schools to reopen, yes, that's all needed, and I completely appreciate that. But the funding that um, Enable Ireland needs is so small in comparison. Can it not be, I don't know, fast-tracked through yeah. because of the, the I suppose the there, there are services like Enable all over the country, though, and obviously between all of them, there's probably Absolutely, a substantial yeah. need there. Um, now, I know that disability is kind of between two stools and that health and education both have a role in it. Um, mm. I was looking at this because we've had a couple of people saying this, that Roderick O'Gorman um, is the children's minister, but he's bumped responsibility for disability down to a junior. That was always a junior yeah. ministry. Well, I I would have, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, like, Finian McGrath was the minister for dis. It was the junior minister for disability up until up until this government came in. We'll say so. Like, okay. there's never been a senior minister for disability. But like the, the fact that they're not taking a leading role in it, mm. or you know that that was surprising to me when I found out that it was yeah. sent down to I a think, junior minister. I remember when it got a junior minister. I think Finian McGrath was the first minister with responsibility for it, um, mm. the first junior minister, and he would have come out of the disability sector. That was kind of his thing, um, okay. or like he that's what he campaigned on for years and years. So yeah. it seems that that's actually kind of new, um, and I think the idea was that it would. Um, that junior minister would act as a liaison because disability fell under health and education and probably social protection as well to an extent with the with the payments. Yeah. Um, that seems to have been the the thinking behind that. And um, because when I saw yeah. that note in the in the running order, I was I went looking into it. Um, have you been in touch with the new junior minister for disabilities? No, I haven't as of yet because yeah. it was only the, the end of last week that I, I heard that he was taking over yeah. from it. Yeah, I mean, it's all so, happening. Everything yeah. is changing so much that it's very hard to know who's what, to be honest. And I had yeah, to I had to, had to go, go on, look really. it up. Yeah, I had to go look it up myself <laughs> um, because at this stage, I don't know who is the minister for what. Um, <laughs> but I suppose that might be your next step in terms of dealing with their office directly because the, um, and I'm looking up a name, oh, Anne Rabbit. It's Anne Rabbit in, um, so it was cha- in May 2016, the title was Disability Issues and the title changed to disability in 2020. So that's that's the only difference, I gather. Um, mm. But it may be worth dealing with her directly because I'd say, to be honest, they seem to be like headless chickens at the moment and none of them seem to know what any other department is doing. Completely, yeah. You, you do get a sense of that, all right. Yeah. Um, 
And like for your son, is is he in the same boat as Elaine's daughter in terms of that six month gap now in services, nothing having happened face to face? Yeah, very much yeah. so. Like to be fair, the team have um, have tried their best, and they are in relatively regular contact. But I suppose the thing is, is that I'm not a trained physiotherapist. I'm not a trained occupational yeah. therapist, and I'm doing all of these exercises with my son. And sure, I don't know if I'm doing them right or wrong. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's just you know, it's just frustrating and it's frustrating for the, the staff as well of Enable because they can't interact with the kids either. Yeah. And that's what their job is and that's what that's why they do what they do yeah. to help kids. And they've been restricted in doing that too. Um, yeah. And does your and, son, Aoife, does he attend a creche or, or a preschool or anything? Um, he, uh, we're very lucky that he attends um, a creche in Douglas. Um, and are they um, reopened? They've reopened. He went back there on Monday of last week. They have been an absolutely wonderful yeah. um, support to us. Through the whole and you kind of would wonder situation. why creches can reopen, but these services can't. Oh, completely. And like to be fair, in the creche, they have a wonderful, and um, they've put up, set up a wonderful sanitisation, massive rules. The paperwork that went into it mm. was only only second to none. Um, and you know, it's just it's it's just very safe for him inside there, and I feel yeah. completely confident. With, with the team that he has in there and you know they're do, they're going to be doing a lot of the OT work that he should be able to get with um, our own OT person um, okay. um, from from like doing arts and crafts and yeah. drawing and things like that yeah. do you know what I mean um, so he, at least he's getting something from that but again I suppose it's, it's a service that we've decided to put our son into and we've been lucky that they've been able to take him yeah. but we're paying for that ourselves yeah yeah, Do you know what I mean? Course. Like the, like there's, I suppose the thing, another thing is, is that we have a multi-million um, euro state-of-the-art centre, which is massive. I don't know if you were in there yourself, dear. I, I know where it is. I've never been in there, but, um, oh, it, but I know it, it costs a lot of money. Costs a lot of money. Beautiful big reception area, beautiful big therapy rooms. Because of social distancing, as at the moment, they're going to need to cut that by half, right? Mm. Um, but you can still get in there. There's still plenty of room to do things safely. We just want to get in the door. And we want all the kids to be able to get in the door. And we just want the HSE to be able to give a few quid, to be fair. It's not a lot that they're asking for. Not in the scheme Um, of things, no. Honestly, not Mm. in the scheme of things. And they probably lose it um, in their administration someday. Do you know what I mean? It's nothing in comparison to the budgets that they're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just write the cheque. That's it. It's I one mean, of those all for the want of a horse shoe nail stories, isn't it? That they've spent yeah. the, a fortune on this and now for that little bit of extra money it's lying idle. Aoife, yeah. what, what's your son's name? Sam. Sam. I hope Sam is enjoying his time back at Crush and uh, hopefully it, he'll get his services back soon. Um, Aoife yeah. McConnell, thank you for the call. Thanks a million for thank taking the call. No problem. Mind yourself. No problem. It's, um, it's, yeah, like it just doesn't make any sense that you can go to a crush but you still can't go to those kind of really essential services that will make all the difference for a child with those complex medical issues um, in the long run. Like we know so much about early intervention and how much matters before the age of five with small children um, and the differences that different therapies can make to them then that if they get them later they mightn't work as well and that you could be preventing um, 
you know, you could be stopping a child like that reaching full potential just for the lack of a very small amount of money. Um, and if you're to look at it purely from an economic perspective, if, if this is the difference between a child learning to speak or not learning to speak in the long run, I mean, what's that going to cost everybody concerned? What difference is that going to make for to the child's life uh, as an adult, as a young person and as an adult? Um, it just doesn't really make any sense. Um, schools have come up a bit this morning. We'll be talking about that with Eamon, who contacted the show in just a moment. Eamon reckons that teachers are crying out for another lockdown. Not sure about that, Eamon. I'm sure there's a few teachers listening who will disagree, but we'll see what he has to say in just a moment. This is Court's Gold Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Court's 96 FM. Now, schools have come up a couple of times this morning. We have learned this morning that the schools are due to reopen at the usual at the usual point in September. It's the €350 million Euro is going to be spent on it. Teachers will uh, wear masks where possible. Uh, they're not regarded as suitable at primary level, but secondary students can wear them if they wish to. Um, their, the recommendations are contained in public health guidance, which will be issued following today's cabinet meeting. Um, there's going to be hundreds of additional teachers, alterations to classrooms, along with administrative supports for principals. In addition, it's expected there will be additional guidance counsellors and psychologists hired to help support students' well-being. It will include a range of provisions for special education schools, including an enhanced cleaning grant worth about four million, and each special school will get a budget for a staff member specifically focused on return to school planning. Now, that's all great, but they're going to get they're going to get a budget, okay, and today is the 27th of July. So, by the time that budget is available to be drawn down that presumably will take at least you know conservatively let's say one week uh, that's kind of fairy tale thinking but look we'll say one week so that brings us into the first week of August then they have to hire the person so normally you know advertising a job um, recruitment interviews picking the right person that's going to take you know, conservatively again, what, two weeks? That brings us into the last week in August for that person to get up and running on return to school planning uh, when they're newly in a job and the planning that they're planning for is a week later it just doesn't sound very feasible um, they're talking about extra teachers being made available now they are saying with the extra teachers that they are relaxing the rules on final year teachers final year student teachers going into schools and they're also um offering increased hours to part-time or job-sharing teachers, there are a lot of those around, as well as increased flexibility in the recognition of qualifications obtained abroad and placements from teacher training colleges. This could be just like where the nurses were being put on COVID wards and they were only on placement and they weren't even being paid. Um, I don't think student teachers get paid to, to do placements in schools, do they? Um, if you're a student teacher listening, you might let me know. 083 96 So they have to hire all these extra people in the next month and get up and running in a totally different way and all this funding will be drawn down it, maybe it's achievable and maybe we should be being more positive about it Eamon is on the line though and Eamon reckons the teachers don't want to go back to work at all Hi Eamon Hello there, how are you doing? Not too bad Eamon you sent us a video on Facebook in which you, you, you say that you've spoken to a number of teachers who don't want to go back to school That's absolutely correct I've Can you speak directly into the phone? I think I'm on a speaker Eamon, am I? Oh no bother Hello. Hi, Eamon. Yeah, so are you, you're in Cork, Eamon, are you? Yes, I am at the minute. Yes, I've spoken to a number of teachers. <clears throat> and I have to say, the, the vast majority of them do not want to go back to school. Go on. 
Well, most teachers I've talked to, uh, <coughs> honestly, they're praying for another lockdown. I mean, they've been off since last February. They couldn't believe their luck when they got off. Um, they used to do some work on the laptop for 20 minutes or so, then head off to the beach, barbecues and stuff, and leave it up to the parents to fend for themselves. Really? Well, that's what I've been told by a lot of teachers. And are you, um, what do you work at yourself? Well, I'm an ex-teacher. Oh. Yeah, with the current crop of teachers, I don't think they realise just how good they have it. Are you retired? Um, I am kind of semi-retired. So obviously being on the radio is not a great idea. But talking to a lot of teachers... Why, what, what, under what circumstances did you leave teaching? Because you don't, you don't... From the bit of you I could see in the video, you're wearing sunglasses and a face mask. Well, um, you true, didn't look old enough you, to I be retired. I when the Celtic Tiger kicked off. And to be honest, there was, <clears throat> there was construction work available for me, which paid quite a lot of money. And of mm. course, that went belly up. So I went back again, part-time teaching. But my point is that the current crop of teachers, uh, for, as far as I can see, they are hoping and praying that another lockdown will happen because they can't believe their luck. I mean, they're off. I mean, it's an endless holiday for them. It just sounds like you're really sorry you left, Eamon. Well, do you know what? Part of me is sorry. I I won't deny that I am slightly envious of teachers. I mean, never mind the holidays to get during the year, which is fine. But I mean, they've been off since last February. You know, Mm -hmm. and to be honest, the current crop of teachers are still complaining. You know what? I mean... Kids definitely don't want to go back to school. Uh, t- teachers definitely do you have any don't kids? want to go back to school. Uh, I certainly do. And it's up to parents. And to what age the are pieces. they? Uh, nine and 12. So what classes are they in? How do you, they're in primary. Well, yeah, what classes are they in? They're in uh, fourth and, and the eldest is in sixth. And they don't want to go back to school? Not at all, no. But no. you must be providing great entertainment for them at home because any kids I know are dying to go back to see their friends. Uh, well, you know, to see their friends. But, uh, well, I'll tell you what, we've done most of the work ourselves uh, online. And uh, the particular teacher we have now is very good, but uh, disappeared for weeks, to be honest with you. I know and have your, 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 your kids and, have the same teacher, have they? Oh, no, no. So they have two teachers? They have two teachers, yes. And, but, and your, your, kids, your own kids' teachers are very good, are they? Uh, one of them is very good, but the other one is, is, is to be honest, uh, wasn't available at all. Available at all for the, the duration of this lockdown. I was very disappointed. Mm. And so, uh, what's the story uh, with your twelve-year-olds going the back to school? Crop of teachers, they have so many advantages compared to, say, teachers of years ago. Uh, they don't realise really? how lucky they are. And are I'm they not paying. getting paid about ten thousand euro less? Sorry? The same. Are they not getting paid a lot less than teachers from years ago? Well, uh, you know what? Look at what's available to teachers currently. I mean, they have so many tools online. I mean, they literally can turn on... Yeah, but they're paid significantly less for the same work than their older colleagues. Like, I wouldn't see that as an advantage. Oh, well, I I think they have less work to do, to be honest with you. God, Eamon, it really sounds like you're lost to teaching that you loved it. You know, I had a farm, and I also was a teacher, and I managed a lot, you know what I mean? Uh, with current teachers, to be honest, there's been more time on TikTok and Zoom parties, from what I can see, than actually teaching. And it's about time they got their act together. It's as simple as that. It can't be an endless holiday. They're not living on easy street. And to be honest, some of them, it's, it, I regard it as a part-time job. But why didn't you stay in it if it was and so handy? Uh, sorry? Why didn't you stay in it if it was so easy? 
Well, I'll tell you what, because the lure, the Celtic Tiger came, and I was, I was offered a lot of money. It's as simple as that. And I did earn a lot of money. And you know what? I lost a lot of money. And yes, part of me is envious that I'm not a teacher when I see how much they're off. But that's the way it is. Good luck to them. But I think they'll have to stop complaining, get their act together, and get back into the classroom in September. Okay. Um, Eamon, I don't think you're not a regular caller to the show or anything, but you just contacted us about this. Have you been contacting other radio stations about it? I certainly not, no, because I tell you, yesterday I was so, I got so kind of hot and bothered about it on Facebook that I, I, I was talking to my wife and she said, you know what, will you contact someone and get that off your chest? She said, I'm sick and tired to listen to you. And that's exactly what I do. I have nothing against teachers. I'm an ex teacher myself, but the current crop of teachers are living on easy street. They need to stop complaining, get back to school, get off Zoom and TikTok, and think of the children. And that's my take on it. Okay, Eamon Murphy, thanks for that. Won't someone think of the children? Um, Anne Piggott is the Vice President of the ASTI, and she's on the line. And I can't imagine you agree with much of that. No, I, I certainly don't agree with any of it. And if I can start off with the point that was made about teachers being off since February, for a start, teachers were on lockdown since March the 12th. Mm-hmm. So that's one incorrect fact for a start. Uh, teachers were, it, it was announced that day that teachers would leave school. Schools were locked down. Within a week, practically every teacher was contacting their students through internet with no training whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, they worked very, very hard. I disagree with a lot of those comments. I think they're highly unfair to the teachers involved. Our union did a survey on the work that was involved for teachers and at least 98% of teachers were in touch with their students consistently and the 2% who weren't, it was because of either sickness or death or lack of Wi-Fi in their houses. Mm. Um, as well as doing sort of a numerical survey, we also took comments from teachers and we got things like, I'll just read a few of them, work becoming so consuming that I found myself increasingly isolated within my home. Or another one, my home, my sanctuary has now become my workplace. I am finding it difficult to distance myself from work. Mm. So we got loads and loads of comments like that. I don't think you can group every single teacher into his comment um, and into his phrase, a current crop. He's telling them to get off Zoom. Teachers use Zoom to contact their students. We had constant staff meetings through Zoom, even right into the summer. Mm. Teachers work during the summer on calculated grades. Um, teachers all want to go back to school. Teachers are not happy doing remote learning. They want to be in school, but they want to be in school under safe conditions. And they really, really want to be back in school at the end of August. Mm-hmm. And pick it from, from the ACI. I'm sorry, I have to take a break. I'd like to come back to you in a moment if you stay with yes. me. Um, yes, I have to take this because I think um, Eamon certainly, any of the teachers we've spoken to on the show did not sound like the same ones Eamon is talking to. If you have thoughts on this, 083 96 96 96, a lot of texts coming in about it. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM.
It's dear to hear with you on the opinion line today. We've been talking just before the news to Eamon, who believes the teachers are crying out for a second lockdown. Um, I'm accused of being unfair to Eamon. Cleanus says, Dear G, you were very biased to that ex teacher and really came across as not wanting a word said against teachers. More so, pander to anything they want. You wouldn't entertain anything he said. Wake up. Teachers in Ireland are the highest paid in Europe. Maybe teachers pay reviewed and cut back to new crop. Cleaning the new crop, as, as Eamon kept referring to them, um, are earning very substantially less than older teachers. Teachers, um, I would um, certainly agree that there's bad apples in every bunch. Everybody, I think the reason everyone is so, so passionate about teachers and teaching, and a lot of people are so negative, is look, we all had terrible teachers, but we also all had good teachers, and probably most of us had one or two excellent teachers. That's the same, I think, in every job. It's just that you don't come across um, journalists every day and meet really good ones and really bad ones and you know really average ones. Um, I think it's just different that we all have an opinion on teachers because we were all taught by somebody that we didn't like. Um, another teacher says, uh, tell Eamon he's a disgrace to the profession. I work 9am to 9pm from home, spoke to all my pupils, parents, colleagues while running a household with four, and <laughs> she says ruining a household, <laughs> but I can exactly... I think that's a very specific typo with four children at home from a primary teacher in Kildare dying to get back to work. Um, Noel says he agrees with Eamon. What about our nurses and frontline staff that put their lives at risk every day during the COVID? Put them on social welfare payment from September and they won't be long going back. My two sisters-in-law are teachers and are hoping the schools won't open. Um, There's a lot of he said, she said here, but... um, the reason I was so suspicious of Eamon by the way is he sent us a video from a fake Facebook account where he was wearing both a mask and sunglasses I don't believe Eamon is his real name I don't believe he has any children um, and I certainly don't believe that he used to be a teacher so that's why I was so um, questioning of Eamon because the video um, the video didn't didn't fill me with confidence because it's it's from a fake Facebook account uh, so that's that's the real reason Anne Pickett from the ASTI is on the line about this and Anne uh, gave a very spirited defence of teachers and could just to, to go to one of the things that has come up there, um, can you tell me again how um, I suppose the new crop, as Aidan referred to them, are paid in comparison to older teachers? Yeah, so they, because of the recession, and Eamon said he was working in the Celtic Tiger years, and uh, I suppose a lot of people might have left their jobs to, to go and find better paid jobs at the time. Mm. But then soon after that, a recession came, and prior of the cuts in the recession meant that teachers had their pay cut. And we've been fighting for years and years now. Now, payments have been somewhat given back, but teachers are still on lesser pay. As a result of that, teachers are actually leaving the country and they're, they're not staying in Ireland. And I've even heard of teachers whose maybe two or three daughters have gone to Dubai and the teacher, an older teacher, might have left his job to go to Dubai with them. Mm. So we don't just have younger teachers going. And the other point is when teachers start off, they find it very hard to get full-time work. Yeah. So for many years, you have teachers just working on seven and eight hours a week. They're in school from Monday morning until Friday evening, nine to four every day, sitting around staff rooms, hoping to pick up some work. Now, the other thing is a lot of those teachers for steady work and steady income to help them pay their rent. They've worked in shops and restaurants and pubs now all that work is gone as well. Mm. So those teachers are in, in really um, bad situations. They haven't had any money, some of them, for the last few months because they haven't had any subbing. And also, if they go back to school on their sort of temporary capacity, what's going to happen now if they are off on sick leave? They'll have nothing to survive on. And I've heard of teachers in Dublin who've been um, in rented accommodation in all sorts of strange situations where 
I've heard of somebody who slept on a couch from Sunday until Thursday evening, paid a fortune for that, mm. would have to be off the couch to turn it back into a sitting room at seven o'clock every morning. Um, I've heard of teachers who have been paying rent and then the rent went up, they couldn't afford it. And I've heard of some of them who lived in cars, didn't want their students to know they were living in cars. Uh, teachers who've driven like from Limerick to Dublin every single day because they can't afford rent there. Likewise, I know of teachers who drive from, we'll say, Tipperary to Cork, come in, begin work at seven o'clock in the morning training basketball teams because they don't want to stay around in the evening doing activities because they want to get home because they might have small children. So this is the life of teachers. Now, from lockdown in March, teachers were working um, all day and all night, so much so that sometimes they weren't even teaching their own children at home. They were constantly answering emails from individual students. There was work coming in. They would correct the work and give feedback to the students nonstop. Some students might take a photograph of their work and because they weren't sure if it got to the teacher or not, they might send on 20 or 30 photographs of the same piece of homework. And then teachers, in some cases, were using their own equipment and they were downloading all these pictures. They had to prepare work for their classes the next day. So the work, the work was enormous. And unfortunately, on some media outlets, I don't think that teachers um, were presented very well. But the work has been enormous. So yeah, I mean it's it's not quite as simple as as Amy would make out. Now there are parents, and I think particularly a couple of very high profile people who don't feel that their um, children were getting much attention from teachers online. Like, would you admit? And to be fair, there are bad apples in every bunch. Every profession has people that don't do the work. Well, I'm not going to call them bad apples. Um, we must remember teachers got no training and some teachers had no equipment whatsoever. Mm. Um, some teachers had to go out at that point and buy their own laptops. Um, some teachers tried to engage with students. Students didn't engage back. Um, yeah. I know students didn't engage back because there might have been four people in the same house wanting to use one computer. Yeah. I know some students didn't have any Wi-Fi at home. And then some parents mightn't have encouraged students to work either. But the majority, according to our survey, over 98% of us did the work and, and, and found it quite difficult work. Mm. And as I keep saying, teachers are dying to be back in the classrooms and really want to be back at the end of August. But you see, the problem is we're waiting for a back-to-school plan. We're waiting what to know that it, what is entailed in that plan. That's meant to be announced today um, and, and we want to make sure that our teachers are safe. And I suppose the other point that must uh, be taken on board, teachers are now about to go back into school. Um, they're going to be meeting hundreds and hundreds of people and they will be at risk. I think in Sweden, they didn't close schools and up to a point they didn't take any precautions and teachers did die in Sweden as a result of COVID. And, uh, you know, I guess in any in any role where you are dealing with the public, there's going to be a level of that. Um, you know, there is going to be a level of risk there. Um, a caller, Anne, says she can only speak for her experience, but she cannot say the teachers work all day and night. There needs to be a debate from parents and teachers. And today it was teacher heavy and biased. Um, and if you want to come on air, please do. Uh, parents don't tend to contact us about this. I'll be honest. Eamon is the first person who's contacted us about this um, from that end. And the reason, as I said, I, I'm a little bit suspicious of Eamon 
is that um, it's a fake Facebook account and we can't identify him or anything about him from the video um, and I do find that unusual because most people who come on give us their name at least if they might use it on air but they will give us their real name um, there Anne Pickett from the ASTI we'll, we'll speak to you again and no doubt between now and September because I want to get to Seamus who is principal of the boys school in Cargilline Seamus I suppose back to the plan and the reason we're talking about this today um, you've seen some of the information leaked this morning uh, we gathered that's going to be um, that's going to be put out there later on today officially things like um, recruiting new staff and somebody to deal with them um, back to school planning and all of that like is that realistic between now and the 1st of September? Hi Deirdre yeah listen just to, to clarify I'm actually the principal of the girls school oh, sorry I thought it was the boys school You're apologies <laughs> Look, Deirdre, um, I suppose initially, just to draw back there, 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 some of your commentary this morning, there were two individuals who spoke in relation to the services in the, in the county. And, 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 and I mean, the services in Cork are broke and we need to do a huge, an actual programme on that at some point. Um, I mean, if you have a, a child who's born with certain disabilities, there should be a roadmap there to follow if you, if you need your uh, support, but it doesn't exist, you know, so I want to echo that. Mm. I suppose in relation to opening a primary school, for me and, a, and our staff, look, we're looking at the logistics of opening. That's the, the first priority, and hopefully the guidelines will support that today, okay? Yeah. Um, you're then looking at the second level, which is settling the children in, because it doesn't matter if your child is a high achiever or low achiever or certain needs. Every child is going to have difficulty settling back in September regardless so that's the second priority it was mentioned on the news there in relation to divergences to the HSE and, 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 and other issues in relation to that because schools have closed we don't know what's gone on in homes across the county or across the country in, really, in the last six months yeah. so when we come back in we are going to be deluged with certain issues that could be child protection issues or high levels of anxiety or other issues that are not academic orientated but you know that's going to take up a huge amount of our time and we're very conscious of that you know and I suppose then the fourth point that we have to look at is, is the academia, okay, and, and how we address the, the lack of, of support, I suppose, in one sense that, 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 you know, parents worked really hard with schools and schools worked really hard. But at the end of the day, there is going to be a small deficit in relation to where the children should be when they start back with us this September. So we have to adjust our programmes to ensure that that is, is brought up to speed. Now, in relation to then what the department, I suppose the key issue for schools, actually, and I don't think parent bodies in general are aware of this, but... When a school, so take my school, I have eight classrooms and 229 girls, right? That's a huge, a huge race if you look at it, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if I have a teacher who goes out in the morning, as Anne Pickett said prior to that, there is a pay discrepancy and a pay inequality that exists in teaching, as in nursing, as in all the defence forces, all the civil service, okay? Yeah. That has led to a severe shortage of substitutes, okay? So even if in my school I had somebody go out for a week, a teacher is going to get the vomiting book. Park the COVID idea because, yes, we will put in protocols for that. But teachers get vomiting bugs. Teachers get other elements when they're exposed to 28 children on a daily basis. You know what I mean? Mm. So if a teacher goes out for a few days, traditionally you disperse the children between the rest of the classes. Okay? That can't happen. Okay? Yeah. Now, because of short, substitute shortages, short, shortages, short, shortages, apologies, you know, we will, we will be in a position where we'll have to send the children home. Because we, unless there, there is subs in place. Yeah. Now, thankfully, that's one of the things that is going to be addressed by this. I'm not aware, are they going to issue individual substitutes per school or on a, a supply panel basis? But at least that is something that will give huge reassurance, you know. And where are they going to come from? Are there people around? Like, that's the thing that got me. I know about the, the sub shortage because I know quite a lot of people who have been subs and yeah. who have are gone from teaching completely because they couldn't make it pay. And that's fair. And I mean, it is, it's far more uh, fiscally beneficial to 
head off to the UAE or Qatar for three or four years and come back rather than stay here if you're not in a permanent capacity. And even if you are in a permanent capacity, you're minus 10% on the rest of your colleagues in your room, in, in, in your school. Look, I think there's... This, I, I, I haven't seen the document, so I don't know. I'm mm. assuming that they're going to look at the fourth-year students in the various colleges, which would free up approximately 2,000 additional teachers. Um, they're talking about supply panels, which would mean that one of these individuals would be placed between three or four schools and be called upon. Look, in an ideal world, the, the way to do it would be in an urban area where you have schools who have one, two or three streams of classes. In other words, you know, juniors to eight to six class. If you have one stream of them, that you'd have one additional teacher full-time from now on to, yeah. let's say, November. And if you you take Frankfield, which has three to four streams of everything, they realistically need to have four four teachers allocated just to that school alone. The difficulty is if, if let's say, my school is, is 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 clustered with a Frankfield-type school, which has four streams of everything, they're the reality is, they're, yeah, they're going to need it first, you know. Yeah. So it, it should be individualised, the, the allocation, not just on a supply panel basis. And, like, in terms then of, I suppose, the big fear for parents, and this is a huge, I mean, what you're saying there about kids having to be sent home um, yeah. if, if you can't get a sub, like, that's yeah. absolute chaos, obviously, for it parents. Um, yeah. And the biggest fear that a lot of people have now is that if there is, so if they go back to school and if things are put in place, what happens then when there is a case in a class or in this whole school? Like, if, the, if there's a case in a school, if a teacher or a child or whoever has symptoms, yeah. will the whole school have to self-quarantine for 14 days? Again, we're not sure. And I mean, this is the difference between ourselves and the, pre- and the preschools, the creches. They all got a set of criteria and what to do and protocols in relation to this before they reopened on the 29th of June. Mm. And you see, this is why schools couldn't open to this point because we didn't receive it. It's not a case of teachers not wanting to go back or principals not wanting to reopen. It's purely down to we didn't have the information or the, the guidance to open. Um, so, I, I, again, I haven't seen the document. I'm not sure what they're going to do. I would assume that, um, I mean, if you look at the crash situation that happened last week, um, where an individual worker um, was diagnosed with with, with COVID, yeah. uh, as far as I'm aware, they had to shut the, the, the crash for the rest of the day and following two days afterwards, and then it reopened. I'm, you know, I'm assuming the same would happen to us, but I mean, at least if it's on a localised basis, it's controllable, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. this is why even with my parent body, I've asked, that if people could, obviously children are going to be in pods and bubbles of groups of fours and sixes in school and if it was possible once those groups are, are, are known that parents could make local arrangements whereby one or two households could could take those four or five children or three or four children if, if this happens um, on an agreement at least from a contact, trace, contact tracing perspective at least that's manageable you know. Mm, okay. All right, Seamus, a lot to think about there. And I think parents are going to be waiting very um, with bated breath to see what happens next because really people, I think, are dying to get back to some kind of normal. And if that means parents are free to go back to work, um, and particularly I, I know a lot of people who are talking about having to having to maybe give up work if the kids don't go back full time, that idea of the one to two days a week and blended learning seems to be completely gone, which I think most parents would welcome because that's not a runner for anyone. You can't hold down a job and be dropping your kids to school one or two days a week or part-time or whatever. It just doesn't work. Um, 0833 96 96 96. I have a text here from someone who says, it's interesting that when we meet a bad doctor or shop assistant, we say that they're not great at their job, but when we 
when we meet a bad teacher, we say that all teachers are awful. Teachers are worried about going back because they will have to be a room with 30 children a day. Teachers, who can, children who cannot socially distance and who do not understand coughing or sneezing etiquette. Teachers also have to deal with parents who send their children in full of Calpol and the teachers to deal with the sick child. Some teachers might not have been great at online teaching, but they have children too who they might have to teach at home or been sick or had a bad Wi-Fi connection. It's easy to bash teachers, but if the job is that easy, why don't people train to be one? Um, we've a few of those and we've a few people saying teachers teachers are awful and they don't want to work um, kind of half and half really um, big description of how subbing works, I won't go into that in the detail but regarding the recruitment of teachers Sylvia says we have to advertise for two weeks then go through application shortlist and invite candidates with a week's notice, so to be clear we'll take almost a full month to take, get new staff members um, caller agrees with Eamon, oh yeah this is the one I wanted to get to teachers are complaining about going back, what about the single parent families who have to work and teach, in other countries they're back in school parents will go out and protest because of this yeah, in all of this, the single parent families have really drawn a short straw. Um, I don't know how people have managed um, at home with kids by themselves and trying to manage everything. Fair play to you. And if you have anything to add on that, 1850-715-996. See me pull it down outside the shop. They're like, oh my God, it's Demi. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit strange being recognised out and about like that, especially with the mask. You do feel a bit protected with the mask, I'd say, all right. I do, but like at the same time, I don't mind meeting people, but it's kind of difficult at this time because of the whole pandemic and stuff. Yeah. But you just know, I tell them I'm not, we just have to make, uh, hold on to social distancing. And they're like, yeah, that's no problem. So it's grand, like, do you know what I mean? So nobody asking for selfies anyway these days? No, they just get someone to get the picture taken for them and they just, we just stand apart. I'm like that's fair enough <laughs> that's okay um, you know it's one of these things when we were discussing Black Lives Matter here as a team um, at the beginning you know we were saying like we'd love to speak to people of colour about their experiences growing up in Ireland and I remember your name came up and I said no I said she can't be like the new it's terrible because do you remember for ages Paul McGrath was the only black man in Ireland and people were like yeah. let's talk to Paul McGrath every time something about race came up I said we can't do that to Demi I said she works here apart from anything else and I said she can't be Cork's only black person that's not fair um, but obviously Obviously, you do have thoughts on the movement and on your own experience. Like, how yeah. how I mean, how much has has racism impacted you growing up in in Mallow? Like, you to people, I feel like with kids. Obviously, I'm 19, so I'm 20 this November. But like, I would have experienced it from a very young age, like mm. in school. But it wasn't necessarily what they said; it was what they heard adults speak. Like, what they heard the adults say in conversation that they would then put back out into like another child in class or anything like any other topic um you just you just grow a, a thick layer of skin and you just learn how to deal with it do you know what i mean yeah. it sounds horrible and it doesn't sound ideal but you just get used to it and you just know that it's not them that's saying it they're hearing it from someone else and they're just trying to hurt your feelings and that's all they can say really do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like the age you're at, as you say, like you're you're quite young and um there were Ireland was pretty multicultural, I suppose, by the time your family came to live here. Um I mean, I have a cousin who is is half Zimbabwean and um, when he came to visit us down the country, I think it was the first black person a lot of people had seen in the village. Yeah. Um and that would have been in the um very early nineties. Um he's a little bit older than you, not not a whole pile older than you, but um he yes. No, he's ten years older than you. Now that he's, he's my little cousin, but he's actually 10 years older than you. So, like, I mean, it wouldn't have been anything new to people at that stage. You know, dare I say, even in Mallow, like people had yeah. seen plenty of um, new Irish people coming and living there. But what kind of things were the kids hearing at home that they were repeating? Oh, like, I'm one of the children from the choker boxes and I'm a monkey this. And 
they say the N-word a few times. And then they, I used to get picked on for the size of my nose and my lips. But the lips now is the biggest trend at the moment where a lot of celebrities want bigger lips. Yeah. But I used to get, like, I was very insecure about it for so long. Um, like, you just, it was just stereotypes, basically, like, not to go into detail about it. Yeah. But it was just general stereotypes that people just heard and seen. And the one thing I want to make clear today is that when someone says, I support Black Lives Matter, a lot of people think that, oh, black people are trying to make themselves more superior and that, that, that. No, it's not. We're trying to be equal to every other race there is, if mm. you want to get technical about it. Like, it's not just, oh, um, we want to be better than everyone. We want to succeed better than everyone. Sometimes people feel like, I don't need to live by stereotypes. I should still be driven in my work. I should, be, should still be driven and set examples for the new generation, which I feel like, I hope that's what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just equality is what we're looking for. We want, we want to be treated as equals. Mm. Do you know? Has there ever been, have you ever had experiences where people have assumed, say, that you don't speak English or that you came from somewhere else? I mean, you're as mellow as it gets, really, like. <laughs> um, people assume that my accent's fake. And yeah, there's certain things I say that, like, I say in a slight African accent, but that's just natural. I mm. can't really help that. But, like, the way I'm speaking to you now or the way Linda speaks in the show, people think that I force it. And most of the time, yeah, I do with certain words with Linda. It's more very North Cork based. Yeah. But, like, it's generally my accent, like, do you know what I mean? But, like, I'm as mellow as they get. Like, I've lived here for nearly since I was two or three. Like, I know nothing else. I ha- the last time I went back was in November and I hadn't been there since I was born. And it was, like, in Nigeria, of course, it was just the most... It was strange because I wasn't mm. used to it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't last over there to live there full time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not your home. Yeah, it's not yeah. like Mallow's my home. Like I wear that badge to the day I die. Like you know, <laughs> um, it's like it's it's when and when you say that I'm, I'm really laughing at Mallow. Sorry, it's just because I'm from slightly further north of Mallow, so you know uh, the yeah. local rivalries there. I mean that's a whole <laughs> separate thing. Um, but like when you when you say that, and I think of there's cases of young kids who um, whose parents say were asylum seekers, and this is getting a bit heavy. But yeah. you you have kids whose parents were asylum seekers who are being deported, who never lived in the country that that they're supposedly been like that they're being deported to. Like yeah. for you, if somebody said to you, go home and you went alright so I'll go back to Nigeria there like would would you you wouldn't know where to start I wouldn't even. ask I wouldn't I could I would not even be able to tell you what the first thing I do when I get over there obviously I'd be like to my family they'd be like I'm stuck here now with you what are we going to do and we'd have to devise a plan but like I'm going to school here I don't speak like my like traditional language that well I wouldn't even know where to live like living situations are more complex over there than they are here I would have to start school all over again. Like, there's so many variables. Like, mm. I just generally was last. Like, I wouldn't like. And I love it as a country to visit. And I've said I'll go for about two or three weeks out of the year. But yeah. I would not live there full time at all. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just I don't know the way of life over there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it should be as foreign to anyone else from Mallow, I suppose, to an extent as, as it is to you. In terms yeah. then of, like, you're, I mean, you're, as you say, you're very young, you've experienced it in school, your career is only starting out, albeit on a, from a very high position. Um, do you think that in your work it's going to affect you? Um, yeah, I do, and I don't. Um, I feel like because of this whole Black Lives Matter movement at the moment, a lot of people are getting very scared and they're like, all right, to please people, let's just cast. 
uh, a black person or let's make a black person our current logo for our company or our brand mm. or whatever the case may be. Mm. I think that's worse. I don't think that's helping the situation at all. Like we said, we want to be treated as equals. And when we say that, we're not saying, oh, just put us in the, the, the give us the biggest role in the show or give us the, the front page of your magazine or whatever, just for the sake of it. We want to be considered as equals. So it's like, we should still be up with the other other races or other ethnicity or other colours. We shouldn't just be casted just for the sake of it mm. to make you look good to the public eye. Like, that's not what we want. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, for you, how would you see the best way of kind of improving things in terms of that equality? Just, like, make it even. Like, 50-50. Like, there was a brand, there's a few Irish brands now, for example, Makeup, who hadn't any, like, black faces mm. until the movement started. Yeah. And it's like, oh, if we want the sales to continue on, we might as well just throw someone on. But you don't have to do, do it for us. Like, you should do it every so often. Swap it out. Like, tag team it. You're in today, I'm in tomorrow. She's in today, she's in. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. swap it around. Like, it's little things. It doesn't have to be necessarily for us. Like, when it comes to TV series as well, like, I think Ireland is a lot more diverse than what our TV screens say mm. or what our media says. And it's, yeah. it's kind of heartbreaking because when I was young, I never wanted to be an actor because I was like, there's no one like me in Irish media. Yeah, Like I had no one to look up to. And I kind of hope that I'm setting an example for the younger generation saying that, yeah, there's not many of us, but sure you can do it too. And if you do, people will look up to you too. And it's just going to constantly boost up the cycle. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Demi, thanks for talking to us about it. Um, no problem. Interesting to hear your perspective and congratulations on the new series. It's very entertaining very altogether. Much. Cheers. And uh, if you see Demi around the place, she'll take the selfie, but you'll have to do a social distance. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much. Yeah, it's, um, and of course I have the text, give us a break from black lives, not the only race on the planet. Well, we talk about white people all the rest of the time, texter. Like, um, we do our, you know, we do... Um, feature people of colour on the programme obviously on the radio you can't tell what colour someone is so that's an advantage um, and, and it means we treat everybody equally as a matter of course but it's this is go- we're into week 16 of protests in Portland in the US and Trump has called in the, the fed- federal um, unidentified federal police forces against these protests I think it's certainly something worth covering because um, it you know and it's not just in the US but this is an ongoing story all over the world and in Ireland no less than anywhere else uh, regarding creches, Texter says, I'm a single parent and I was laid off from my job last week indefinitely because I couldn't return to work. I have no childcare as the creche I use is still closed. It's very worrying times. I won't give my details as I don't want to be identified. These are the situations I'm talking about. That is absolutely awful. Um, I'm really sorry to hear that you lost your job. Um, I guess if you can't, you know, and this, this has come up on the show. We have kind of speculated about what would happen in these scenarios. And there you go. This person's been, I presume it's a woman, but I don't know. It might be a man. Um, this person's been laid off their job because they couldn't go back to work because they couldn't get childcare. And that is, there's going to be more and more of that. And I think um, particularly where people relied on informal childcare, if it was, you know, grandparents or anything like that who can't do it now because they're supposed to be cocooning, um, it's going to be very difficult for people to get back to work. And for you, Texter, I'd love to know more about your situation. I know you don't want to be identified, but, you know, is it possible for you in the job you work at to work from home with your child? If your child is crash age, could you get anything done with them there? Probably not. Um, and what I'd love to know what your employer said to you about laying you off, because obviously they're within their legal rights. If you can't go to work, they, they can't don't have to continue employing you. 
but it doesn't strike me as very understanding either. Um, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six in regard to teachers. I received nothing from my son's teacher who was a vice principal until mid May, just to be told to do pages on Folans, etc. This was once a week, but we had a fr- private French class by Zoom every week, and he saw all his friends who were doing it. Please keep my name private. Yeah, and look, there certainly are bad apples out there. I absolutely agree with you there, and um, I know the teachers unions don't endear themselves to anybody. Um, they they can be kind of refuse to admit sometimes that people have negative experience of teachers too and I wouldn't take away from that but I think that people saying that teachers are being hysterical and stuff very few other people have been asked to go into crowded spaces for a full day with groups large groups of people in a confined space like my job doesn't entail that even if you're working in a shop it doesn't entail that because people are in a shop for a short period and they leave um, you're probably behind a screen like teachers have to lean over children's shoulders to help them with things they have to there's physical contact involved a lot of the time helping them write and stuff like that particularly in younger classes Um I just don't think you're comparing like with like. Now, I know having said that, nurses and doctors and, and cleaners and other people who work in the health system have been exposed to COVID without any extra reward. I think they got a canteen voucher in CUH. We heard that, but we couldn't verify it um, as their reward for it. And I do appreciate that that's really difficult. Um, but like, I don't think the teachers have been hysterical about not going back. Um, and equally, it, the objections are not coming from individual teachers. The objections are because the government hasn't given them a roadmap, which we are expecting to get today. Anyhow, moving on from that, um, there was a bit of um, talk the last few days about this research. It shows that women are far less likely to reveal that they've to realise sorry that they've a drinking problem than men are. Um, this new study, uh, Dr. Deirdre Mangan was a lead researcher at this study, and it found that um, it's Ireland's drug prevalence survey conducted interviews with over seven thousand people, all of whom were asked how much they drank and to describe their perceptions of their own drinking. But there's a population of younger, more educated drinkers who engage in potentially risk-taking behaviours. Um, some of them are aware of their risk-taking, and others aren't. Um, so women apparently were less likely to identify that they were engaging in problematic drinking. Um, almost half of drinkers have a harmful pattern of consumption and the so many people who have alcohol dependence believe that they're moderate drinkers. Um, those who are alcohol dependent are most likely to experience alcohol-related harm and people dependent on alcohol are much like, more likely to have other addictions as well. Well, anyone who smokes and who has given up smoking will say to you the minute they have a drink in their hand is much harder um, and I'd imagine that goes for other things too. But women who are alcohol dependent were much less likely to describe themselves as heavy drinkers. One in ten women with an alcohol dependency believed they were heavy drinkers, whereas one in five men believed they were. Um, and I wonder if um, that's to do with the type of drinking men and women do. Like a woman might sit at home and drink a bottle of wine on her own and kind of not think a whole pile of it, whereas men will be out drinking with other people. They'll be drinking pints, they'll be able to say, well, I drank 10 pints or whatever, and that is obviously problematic. Whereas a bottle of wine is, what, five or six standard units, is it? Um and people, that's kind of a normal thing. You see all these memes, wine o'clock or whatever going up. Susan is on the line and I'll talk to her about her own story in relation to this in just a moment. Susan has a quite interesting story to tell, but I'd, I'm, I want to get her view on this. And I'd like to get your view on it too. If you're at home listening, particularly during the lockdown, did you find yourself drinking a lot more than usual? How did that drinking um, manifest itself like was it did it start off with kind of a glass or two every evening because you were under such stress and escalate um, or I know a few people who gave it up altogether during the lockdown love to know your thoughts on that now with the, the pubs are closed they're not getting the blame but there are plenty of us still drinking at home 1850 715 I'll be back with Susan just after these this is Courts 
Gold Imro Award Winning Talk Show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM So this new research has discovered by the Health Research Board has discovered that 1 in 10 women who are problem drinkers would describe themselves as a problem drinker Um this um, has really alarmed the researchers who say that it's, it's very alarming that so many who have alcohol dependence believe they're moderate drinkers. The interesting difference here is that one in five men identified that they have a problem with drink um, who, who are problem drinkers. Susan Walsh is a community outreach worker. She's on the line. And Susan, would this ring true from your work and from your own experiences? Do women realise it when they have a problem? Hi, Georgia. Um So thanks for having me on. Um, to be honest, my experience would completely align with our research women, we tend to not. Um, I suppose that's knowledge that we're drinking problematically. My own my own experiences, it was the one, like you mentioned, the memes with the wine o'clock, you know, mm. and that, that's all that started for me as well. I would have, you know, had a bottle of wine, I'd have got a bottle of wine on the way home from work and I'd have been working in quite a high pressure job. So, mm. you know, very justified and I minimised it. And then that just crept up to two bottles and more frequent. And I suppose I would, I'd have been really embarrassed to admit that I was a problem drinker, to be honest. Yeah. So that research doesn't surprise me because, I mean, we deny a lot of things to ourselves. And I know for me, what I was drinking, and unfortunately it did develop into a dependency for me, um, That which was no surprise because I was drinking regularly. It, is, you know, it was inevitably going to happen. But I would have not spoke like this to anybody at the time and said, God, I'm a bit worried about my drinking. Because the shame, especially being a woman, is just, I, I can't express, it's, it's so intense. You're so embarrassed. You're like, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I need to get myself together. I'm grand. I'm fine. And next thing you know, you're in Mark Spencer's or you're in Lidl and you're buying a bottle of wine again that night because something stressful happened that day and you're going, I'll just have a glass. Yeah. And I mean, for a lot of people, you know, realistically probably does start off that way that you're just having a glass and that's fine. Um, But at what point, say yourself, Susan, did you realise that it was a problem? Um, I suppose when I went from the conversation in your head, you know, the inner kind of, the inner conversation where you go, I'd fancy a glass of wine to God, I really need to get a bottle of wine on the way home. Yeah. It was it was like, I, I need to get it to come down, to unwind. It was a coping strategy, Deirdre, do you know, at the end, and I can say this now reflectively looking back, do you yeah. know, at the time, it was a behaviour and something I did, but I mean, it definitely was a coping strategy and it got, at the end of the day, life is very stressful for all of us and for women, it, it's very stressful. We're working, trying to maintain homes, you know, there's mothers out there and like to sit down and have your glass of wine and get a bit of peace of mind for an hour or two. Yeah. It's, it's very, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm not against alcohol at all, but I mean, even the glass I used to have was, would actually hold a whole bottle. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. and I remember buying them for my friends at the time and we thought it was a great skit. Like, yeah. I didn't see the uh, the significance of how dangerous that could be. Um, so, like, in one glass, I was having a bottle. So that then I'd get the extra bottle just in case I ran out. Yeah. And, you know, that just literally escalated. And the frightening thing about it is it really did escalate very quick. I mean, I do, I hate using terms, but I'd be described as, like, a functioning um, alcoholic, I suppose. Yeah. It means I was still showing up for work and I was all dressed up, full face makeup, ready to... You know, but that's, that was draining because at night then I was drinking and trying to hide it the next day because of this intense shame I felt. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we have these conversations. I certainly didn't have these conversations with my friends because I would have felt weak. 
I would have felt um, I was very lonely with it. Like, you know, I was just like, God, I was too embarrassed. I meant to be this functioning, you know, articulate and educated woman. And here I am obsessing about going to Mark Spencer's or wherever to get my wine in the evening yeah. because I need to come down from the day, basically. Yeah. And I suppose once you did realise that, you know, that it was a problem and you, you sought help, um, I think one of the things a lot of people can't figure out before they ever get to that stage or before it's ever a problem. But I mean, I think most people will recognise that God, I'd love a drink at the end of a really stressful day or a high pressure day. What's this, what, what strategies have you learned to cope with that kind of stressful day instead? It's not been easy, <laughs> to be totally honest. It's really difficult and it requires a whole change in mindset and change in, in all behaviours. I suppose just to go back a bit, one of the indicators, but I would say to a woman, any woman out there, that, and I do speak to women regularly that are struggling with alcohol problematically, not necessarily addicted, but you know, they're drinking a bit much. I mean, if you can't put your wheelie bin out because it's so heavy, because it's full of wine bottles, <laughs> it's a bit of a sign. And I know it, you know, it sounds funny, but like, that's so, I remember doing that. I mean, so embarrassed, going, I actually can't lift it. Oh my God, I'm humiliated. My husband is going to like, you know, he's going to notice. Yeah, yeah, and the embarrassment of that. And so, like, realizing, I suppose, if I'm drinking a couple of nights a week, there's nothing wrong with that. But am I having a couple of free alcohol free nights? Yeah. You know, or what's my relationship with alcohol? And you mentioned there's a lot of support out there. And and I've kind of mixed feelings on that because, yeah, there absolutely is. But we tend to operate on how I see it, on an extreme continuum of care in Ireland. You know, it's like you're either at this level, and I have my hand up here <laughs> to the highest, or you're down here where you're, you know, like at the bottomless pit. But in between, it can be very difficult to access support. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We hear that a lot with people who have um, any kind of mental health problem, really, that if you are somewhere between, and addiction obviously is different, but any problem that needs treatment that isn't straightforward, a broken leg, basically, um, it's either, um, you know, go to some type of charity that will talk to you over the phone Mm -hmm. or go and admit yourself somewhere for three months. There doesn't seem to be an in-between. Exactly. And like that whole admission for three months, it just seems so, because that's actually the route I had to take because yeah. there was nothing in between. And it seems so, I suppose, I, I was in denial, but it was. It seems so extreme as well because I was after justifying, you know, the drinking. I mean, to, to respond to what you said, what, what coping strategies do I have now? Mm. You know, and it sounds really boring, <laughs> but, you know, I go out walking, you know, I go hiking, I find nature a great release, but I, I have to work at it. Like, yeah. it is easier to go in and pick up a bottle of wine and come home, have a couple of glasses and get a night's sleep. Um, but I suppose it, there's certainly consequences. I mean, I, I definitely endured them to a, a high degree. And I hate, I hate that any woman or man actually it feels like that. You know, that, that mm. loneliness and shame is just uh, it's horrendous. It's a horrendous feeling to have. I mean, if you could, I would also advise people to like, talk to a trusted friend. Yeah. So if you're kind of going, do you know what? She's so, I'm mad, I'm mad for the wine lately. I've had another bottle last night. Or And during COVID, I know from speaking to people, their alcohol consumption absolutely went up. Yes, I, mean, I would say my own did, and I, I'm not much yeah. of a drinker. I, I'm, I'm here listening to your story going, God, we're not dying with a hangover every day. <laughs> I'd just yeah. be dead on the floor from yeah. drinking all that. But, um, but I know what my own did. I know our, as a household, ours did, because That's I think crazy. people were bored as much as anything else. Um, and like that, it's really interesting you say about talking to a friend, because I think there's a certain thing among women of like, oh, wine o'clock, haha, we all joke about yeah. all our wine. Yeah. And like, I have friends that will make this joke that I know for a fact don't drink really at all. 
all. And I would yeah. see them even on social media having the chats about this or whatever. And I'm like, I know you don't talk, like you might have one yeah. drink and be on the floor, like and that's it. <laughs> but then there's a continuum on that same joke. Maybe you might even someone might have a picture up on Instagram, and I will see people on that who I know can comfortably polish off two bottles, and people who will have two glasses once a week and be dead from it. Um, yeah. And the problem is if you do talk to someone and you say, oh, God, imagine the old wine lately. Do you think more of us need to be actively listening to that? Because I think an awful lot of the response to that is going to be, oh, sure, I'm the same. And that'll be the end of it. We minimise, we justify, it's a social norm. Mm. um, And none of us want to stand out from the crowd. So I tend to, like what we do, I feel what we do as human beings is we surround ourselves with peers that are doing similar behaviours. So that there's no focus on mine then. You know, well, I'm not as bad as that. Yeah. We're great at doing that point in the finger. But actually it is, I mean, and I've, I've lived it. It is, ver- and I, I, I've, people that I have known to my journey have died as a result of alcohol. And you, you don't see it in the media. You know, yeah. they've taken a fall or they've, they've choked on their own vomit at night. And, you, and families don't talk about it because they're equally embarrassed that their loved one got themselves into this situation and that's how something that's seen unfortunately you know people have different views about about addiction and about level of control and stuff but I mean it gets to the point for people where you actually lose control you know and that can happen to you it can happen to me it can happen to anyone that doesn't mean we have to eradicate drinking absolutely yeah. not I mean alcohol I, I alcohol saved my life actually it kept me alive for a very long time it was a really you know wasn't a healthy coping strategy but yeah. um, it got me to where I needed to be but Certainly, if I'd have had conversations with people with similar stories that could identify with me and could I could trust to not be judged or to not be dismissive, and that listen, I actually am concerned. I'm a concerned about this. Do you find this? Are you finding the same? And um, because as a woman, you can, I mean, even going, I remember going into a bar and like I wouldn't sit and have a drink on my own because it would be like embarrassing. I'd be like, oh my god, but like there'd be a man across the way doing it, mm. and yeah. I wouldn't that around it. So I'd order lunch that I was never going to eat <laughs> yeah. um, just to hide the fact that I was having a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't tell anybody that. Yeah. Because I would die of embarrassment. Um, so, do you know, I, I do think we, and I think we kind of minimise it because of our culture and we think our show wine is grand. You know, we all do that. I mean, you go, I go to the spa now and they offer like the glass of Prosecco. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, will you just leave me alone and follow me around? <laughs> um, and again, I'm not saying don't do that, but I mean, there are non alcoholic um, fizzes that I've heard, you know? Yeah. And I just think is that we just need to be more mindful of the culture of what we drink, why yeah. we drink, the consequences, the payoff. You know, is this harming me? And I'd say through lockdown, and I know from speaking to people, Personally, like the amount of silence in homes and arguments, you know, on the other side of that, yeah. about people being almost found out. Yes. Oh, I'd say there's been plenty of that. Susan, we could talk all day. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Um, and no doubt we'll have you on again, but I have to go. I'm a bit caught no up on time. Thanks very much, Susan Walsh, um, sharing her own story there of a struggle with alcoholism and um, women drinking too much. So if you feel that you are drinking too much, that you're not comfortable with the level you're drinking, if you're hiding it, if you are ashamed of it, um, talk to a trusted friend, talk to your GP, um, do go and get help because there is, there is help out there. But the first step is, of course, recognising what What's going on? 1850-715-996. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.